0: Good morning. Good, morning. good morning. Great to see you. Thank you for returning. Hope it's uh, a good, uh, uh, good finish to our flight and landing. Don't want a don't want a bumpy landing. we um, has got some new folks with us here today. I wonder if they could tell us who they are and where they're from. Two fellows here in the middle.
1: Thomas George, Pastor of Lighthouse Baptist Church, Missouri City, Texas.
0: Wonderful. How far away is that from here? Okay, very good. Good to have you.
1: I'm an associate pastor at Northwest Baptist Church, uh, right down the street, 34th Street here locally. Okay. Northwest Baptist Church.
0: It's good to Uh, meet you. Good to meet you. Thanks for being here. Anyone else new today? I think everyone else looks familiar from yesterday. Yesterday we went through a little history, uh, went through a lot of questions, getting our minds and hearts tilled up as to uh, what disciple making in a local church looks like. we went through a biblical theology of disciple making uh, yesterday we even went through a new testament book uh, the book of first thessalonians examining um, their their disciple making realities and the fruits of their disciple making realities. so again we'll, that's on uh, recording if you're today today if you're here you're you're going to wrap up some philosophy and really get to some flesh and blood of how you can implement this Uh, The danger, uh, again, uh, when you get into philosophical and implementation parts is is for this to be viewed as a program. And remember we said yesterday multiple times that disciple-making is the antithesis of a program. Um, If you're a program-driven guy and you want this to be a program, it's going to fail. And then you'll just keep getting back into your normal routines of ministry, um, plateau and decline, really. Um, we went through the differences between a program and a disciple-making. That, that's in your notes, um, but, but uh, it's just not a program. As a matter of fact, you're going to probably use that verbiage even when you get this started. Most every pastor that goes back to their church that implements whatever their model is going to be in disciple-making you know, they'll email, text, or call, and they say, our new discipleship program is going really well, and, like, and they go, oh, it's not a program. We're just so used to calling things programs. And it's just not that. It's a culture. Without looking at your notes, can we say this together? If it's biblical, it should be doable in any size church in any culture. If it's biblical, it should be doable in any size church in any culture. Okay. All right, so the next section in your notes here really is developing a nursery. Developing a nursery. Remember we said yesterday um, that maybe the Lord Jesus is not confident in sending us one of his new little ones because we don't have a nursery that's capable to care for them. Could that be a thing? I think it's a very real thing. Um, I think we can pray and pray and pray and pray and pray. And pray. We can every text on evangelistic prayer in the new testament we could pray and he still will not send little ones until we have a nursery that's there ready to take care of them right um, i think this is why there's been evangelistic events in, in the past and there may have been a lot of professions of faith at those evangelistic events but where do the people end up god can mercifully put them all over the place right but you have to understand that's an act of god's mercy Where should they have been ending up? If your church wins them, they should be at your church. But they're not coming because um, we're not not ready. The nursery isn't built. Because it can't just be the leaders of the church discipling them. Remember we said yesterday we're equipping all the saints to do the work of the ministry. And that's growing each other up in Jesus Christ. So uh, that's our job. God is merciful to his little ones. (laughs) He really is. Um, no matter how they've been saved or where they've been saved. He's merciful to make sure that they get food But if we understand New Testament local church disciple making Ecclesiastically we have to take ownership that, to make sure that that everyone we touch We can shepherd everyone you touch evangelistically through your local church You have to be able to shepherd those people. Okay, um, anyways, so let's talk about building the nursery today. How many of you had a nursery at your home that you prepared for your first little one? All right, what kind of things did you do in preparation? Oh, I got a crib and a little diaper hanger and a changing table and toys and clothes. And Before they even got there. Right. Right, right. Painted. Yep. The guy's got to pick up the paintbrush, hang some lighting, move some furniture. We even had the, I didn't even know these things were a thing. The bumper, the, so that they roll over, don't bang their head against the wood. There's a crib bumper. My wife had me put up a wallpaper border. Never done wallpaper in my life. I'm thankful it was just a border. <laughs> you know? Um, um, new carpet in the room. And, uh, my mom came over to, to, to look at the nursery before Caleb was born and, and she got to the door and I just threw my hand up over the door and I wouldn't let her in. And, uh, she was pretty upset. I I even made her cry. (laughs) She goes, what are you doing? I said, she goes, I just want to see the nursery. I said, well, this is for Caleb. No one's going in here until Caleb gets home. And, um, she goes, well, what's around the corner? I can't see it. I was like, "It's just a rocking chair, Mom. Remember, you bought it for us. It's over there. You know what it looks like. <laughs> no one's going in the room." That was an epic fail by me. Um, but she didn't go in the room. Um, that was, you know, that was uh, that was for Caleb, right? We go we go through great lengths uh, to to make sure that our homes are ready for our little ones, and I think we need to take the same same measures in a spiritual way to make sure that you're ready to shepherd someone in the word of god Um, and you're i guess you're never going to be totally confident to do that no pastor's totally confident in shepherding his people we do it by the help of god's grace and the indwelling spirit of god and the word of god but at least we ought to be equipped to be able to to do this and remember yesterday we went through these pamphlets um I'll give these to our our new folks today. This is a disciple-making pathway that we put together for our people. So if I win you to Jesus at our factory, my pastor's either written for me or approved for me what we're gonna study together for the rest of our lives. And then we went through yesterday, if you get the recordings, all the ways we allow people to do that during regularly scheduled services. So it's really from milk to meat and everything in between, from new birth to last breath, how am I gonna study God's word and help you win train new people too, all right? So I'll give those to you guys, okay? All right, so let's talk about how we build the nursery. How do we take our time preparing our people for new little ones? And remember, it's not a program. I'll say that over and over again because if it's a program, you're gonna want to do this quickly, all right? And this is the opposite of quick. (laughs) So take your time. Uh, we're, We're probably about 17 years into this now. Um, you can't, you can't turn the Titanic with a spin of the rudder very quickly. All right. Just a little bit at a time. All right. So let's talk about this. We want to implement disciple making as your church wide mission, your clothesline. Remember yesterday's quiz, those six questions from Aubrey Malfurst's book, right? Disciple making is one of several key ministries in your church. And the answer to that true or false question was what false someone back over here explained A gal back over here explained why that was false and she did a good job everything we do at our church must be tied to that disciple making clothesline or else it's just a mere class or it's a mere program it's a means unto an end of trying to get people deeper in the word or grow your church okay jesus builds his church through disciple making and uh, having a healthy environment where everyone can participate in the developing of each other under Christ's likeness all right so we want to teach disciple making as a culture remember we went over on the back of the form of the of the pamphlet here all right what's the culture that we're leading and by the way we're going to dive deeper into this philosophically and practically but Just let's just try to remember this is the flesh and blood. We went through the biblical theology and philosophy yesterday. Everyone just believe and expect that God's going to give them at least one person in their lifetime to win to Christ. What's the percentage of American evangelicals from yesterday that have never personally won someone to Jesus Christ? 95%. And by the way, that includes pastors. Now, what do we mean by that? This is not people getting saved at the end of your sermon and your invitation you did not lead those people to Jesus Christ, right? Without your service, right? It's not a church-wide evangelistic event and you're doing some counseling after the service. God mercifully does that too, right? It's not necessarily someone you met at a wedding or you gave the gospel to at a funeral, right? It's not necessarily even someone that you met door-to-door, Is there anything wrong with giving the gospel in any one of those environments or venues? It's not. 95% of American evangelicals have never won a good friend to Christ in their town. That includes pastors. I already told you our story yesterday. So what are we doing to build redemptive relationships in town? And again, think about this, folks. If it's biblical, it's doable in any size church in any culture. Northern China... Police strolling and driving through the streets, no church allowed, heavy persecution. Can they do a youth event? Nope. Can they hold church services? Nope. Can they do door-to-door? Nope. How in the world does Jesus build the church? Well, he only builds it there because it's persecution. Oh, is that right? Is that the only time Jesus builds his church in the New Testament? Is that what he said? Upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it, only during the time of persecution. That's what the rest of that version says, right? I'm not trying to be caustic. Is that what it says? I mean, just, let's just talk. A lot of pastors say, well, our church isn't growing because the church only grows in time of persecution. Well, that's not true biblically. You haven't read Acts 9.31. Then the churches of Judea had peace and they multiplied daily. Okay? So Jesus just builds his church, period. Right? He just builds his church. So, again, how? (laughs) We talk about all these ways people get saved. You can't have a public wedding and give the gospel, right, in the 1040 window, right? There's a lot of things we can't do what we do here in westernized Christianity, but there's still called upon to build the church, uh, shepherd the church that Jesus built. So anyways, just want just to keep us thinking through these things, not, not being critical, but hopefully being analytical. Let's just kind of think about it from every angle as we, as we narrow down what it means to really uh, convince our people that the Lord Jesus wants to use them uh, in, in building the church. There is someone in your Uh, Your Jerusalem, this is what I tell our people, there's, you all have a a small microcosm Jerusalem within the macrocosm of your Jerusalem, right, and that's really, you know, could be your street, that could be your place of employment, that could be where you go through the natural rhythms of life if you exercise, right, if you shop, if you read, if you take walks in a park, right. The best disciple-making is done finding your one, right? Remember yesterday, prayer, preparation, right? And then the pursuit, right? There's not going to be much happening if we're not praying and prepared to go because we're going to walk out not expecting to at least see one, but the best disciple-making is done in the natural rhythms of your daily life. There are those. Those white fields are right there. And you step out your door to go do the things that people do in life. Okay? They're right there. And if you pray and you expectantly await, God's going to give you that opportunity. All right? And what did we say yesterday? For every ten opportunities the Lord gives you to befriend somebody, all right, usually the majority of those are going to walk away in time. All right? But do we still love them if they reject the gospel? Yeah, how long can it be before you can actually get to give the gospel to a really good friend? For me, it's been up to years sometimes. You say, well, you're ashamed of the gospel. You're not giving the gospel to your friend sooner than later. And it's like, I don't know. It seems to me that the life that Jesus led, right, was I don't walk into my life and and demand that you listen to me. I don't walk into your life and demand that. My life has to command, right? I've got a. I've got to love you, and I've got to let you know, like we said yesterday, that, that, that I'm going to be your friend whether you're born again or not. Okay? And then prayer, remember, is, is behind that. So you know the Spirit of God said, or Jesus said, He is in the world, convicting the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment to come. Didn't Jesus say that? So the Spirit of God is just as omnipotent and just as omnipresent as the other members of the Godhead. Would you agree? Because the Holy Spirit's God. Right? So we assume that he's out there in front of us already doing this, and here's no slumber or sleep with the Holy Spirit. So if we're praying, he's out there already, then we're praying, and we know what the Bible says about us. We can, we can get up and go expect that God's going to give us an opportunity. It's been my experience. All right, Just me, I can just say for me, every time... I pray that the Lord will give me an opportunity to begin a redemptive relationship in any particular day. He has answered that 100% of the time. 100%. He may not do that for you. I don't know. But for me, there are actually some days where I'm coming up to that in my prayer time and I don't pray it because I don't think I'm going to have time to do that. Shame on me. I just like, right? It's like yesterday or Sunday night, getting on the plane. I'm I'm toast, right? Lord, give me an empty se- give me an empty seat next to me. I, I just I am not I am not ready. You know, so, <laughs> it's so bad. But uh, every time I pray it, it's a, it is interesting. It is interesting. Uh, if you're praying it, you're looking for it, and He gives it. Um, but for me. Uh, that's anywhere, that's on a plane, that's a burden to hand out a tract. I do all those things still, but for me, that's still not attached to my local church and my Jerusalem within my Jerusalem. And if you think about it, there's a lot of believers in New Testament local churches that are out there handing tracts out all over the place, right? And they're situationally being burdened to give the gospel, and God's using that. God, God does that. It's his gospel, right? But when you put them back inside their local church and inside their Jerusalem, within their Jerusalem, who are they fishing with? Who are they golfing with? Who are they exercising with? Okay? In their natural rhythms of life within their little Jerusalem. Right? Who's your one? So that's a, that's a common thing in conversation in the hallways of grace now. Pastor, I led so-and-so to Christ, and I'm discipling them. I need a new one. Right? Barb Green, 79 years old. I led my hairdresser to Jesus Christ. We're discipling Pastor Tim. But now you need to pray for me. I need a new one. I need a new one. So it just simplifies it for your most, and I'm not saying this condescendingly, you need to simplify it, because sheep are simple. If you're going to give sheep a big evangelistic burden, like they've got to go out and win the world to Jesus Christ, right? Or the 7 million people of Houston to Jesus Christ by themselves, they're never going to do anything. If you can just simplify it and say, in your lifetime, in your lifetime, let's take this 95% and let's make it 35%, <laughs> right? Just one, All right? Just one. That's what we would want to do. So anyways, I think we need to provide a whole church opportunity to practically learn the content of what will be used in our disciple-making efforts. Remember, we're, we're trying to convince all the sheep that God expected them to be part of this work of the ministry. And so what are we supposed to do? We equip them for this. So when you equip them, you've got to lead them to the food to use to learn themselves, that you, and then you've got to give a plan for them to use it with somebody else. So this is what we did. okay? And the reason why I'm going through what we did, remember we said this is just our model. It's not the model. You create your own model, but you've got to equip your saints, every one of them, somehow to be spiritually reproductive. So this is just what we did. All right? Nine months... Nine months, we took the seventh grade on up, and for September through May, we all went through the same discipleship material as Sunday school curriculum. This is baby step number one. Let's just get people familiar with the food. Right? Why'd we do seventh grade on up? In my mind, let me tell you why I did. Right? In biblical Um, what was a young man, what was the scriptural age of a young man in in, in like Titus chapter 2 or 1 John 2? Spiritual age or physical age? Yeah, 12 or 13 years old. right? And by the way, that was pretty transcultural. A lot of times we think of the Jewish culture like that. But that was pretty transcultural for, for thousands of years. That manhood was, for us, that that seventh, eighth grade time frame. So that's all I did. When I look at the older men you know, teaching the younger men, right, I, 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 that's just where my brain went. You guys do what you want, that was just us. But this was super helpful, because it started to get our early teenagers understanding that guess what, you need to live your lives now, all right, on your ball teams, in your classrooms, right? Uh, Your social media and your gaming, where you're communicating with 10, 15 folks you're playing with, if your parents let you do that, right? We're letting them know, look, there's a clothesline that the Lord has for your life, and he saved you to be part of this mission. So kids, guess what? There's at least one person in your Jerusalem that the Lord would have you win. Trust me. Trust me. Most of our kids are getting out through high school and college, as we said yesterday, and they're busy in the local church, but they're not missions-minded in the local church unless they go on a missions trip with the youth group. Right? No, 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 no. All right? I told our guys, we're canceling all missions trips until our teens get this. We're not going to go see any church planters and help them. We're not going to see any foreign missionaries and help them. None, because you're not doing it here. <laughs> You've got to do it here, kids. Trust me, there is someone, okay? And uh, start praying. And, and, and again, I could tell you tons of stories about how this is happening at Grace, and maybe we will a little bit later on, okay? Now, I put here, use foundations as the curriculum. That's not what we did when we first set out, but I'll hang on with me here real quickly. Remember those nine books I told you we found in Missouri? That's what we did. We brought those nine books home and we brought our uh, seventh grade on up through those. We did one lesson a month. Nine lessons, nine months. All right? The fourth Sunday of every month for nine months, we brought the junior high all the way up through our senior citizens into our auditorium and we reviewed the highlights of those lessons. Do you get it? Do you understand? And then one of the other pastors and I, we would kind of take one little section, we would do a little skit, right? So he would act, one would act like the new believer being led through that lesson and then a discipler, right? And with the, the new believer would throw a good curveball at them about particular something, maybe on eternal security or something like that. And then they would learn and watch. So we just did that, right? Um, so anyways, if, if you look at your, I don't want this to be a distraction to you, so I want to look at it and get right back to where we're at here. What we've done is we've worked with the church in North Carolina right, to be able to take the foundations, 12 lessons, and do those in nine months. Right? So if you'll go over a couple pages here, um, I think it may even be to the way back of your notes. Yep, it's the last page of your notes. All right, you see something that looks like this? Okay. There is a way. Uh, it looks like this. We've got foundations in the top right corner. It's towards the back of your notes. It's the, maybe the last page actually, right? Again, I don't want to get distracted here, but we suggest foundations and you can actually use and we have this in Spanish and English, right? You can actually use this here. Right? And you know here there's about the same amount of weeks every year from September to May the lesson breakdown, and so forth. We even have the teacher notes for this. And we even have PowerPoints to go with this. Right? So again, we're trying to save you time. We're trying to save you time. Uh, So I know the dates were their dates when they did it in North Carolina. You would have to put, obviously, your own current dates. Okay? But just an example. Right? Again, your teacher notes aren't included in here, and the PowerPoints aren't, but at least... When we put it up here, you'll know, right? Because those other nine books uh, were—they didn't lend themselves to continue on for life. That's one of the reasons we got rid of them and started to write our own, so that they would we can have a map for everybody for life. So, anyways, you can do this. While you go through this, I would recommend in your morning service preaching through First Thessalonians for your people, when they're learning the content of how to start with a baby Christian. Right? And remember, that's all this is. Discipleship's not bound up in one volume. Remember, this. how long did it take to our people usually to go through this? you remember yesterday? Two and a half years. Two and a half years. Right? right? The first arrow, what's the average time for our people? Four to five years. And then remember, they're going to be with them for the rest of their life. And you guys know the map. So you're just teaching them to start. But while you're teaching them to start by teaching them in the Sunday school for nine months, right after Sunday school, or if you have Sunday school after the morning service, right before or right after, they're hearing actually of a New Testament model, and it's got some solid exegesis and exposition and application behind it. Are you with me? All right. Nine months. If you want to take a year to go through First Thessalonians, carry it on through that summer. Handle it as wisely as the Spirit of God uh, directs you to handle it. Um, uh, But this is... Again, if it's doable, if it's biblical, you know what I'm saying? I've got a friend in China and they start gathering for church at 6 a.m. in the morning. Okay? You want to know why? Because they can't start their morning worship service until 11. Right? Right? They have to come in one and two at a time every 30 minutes. They can't sing, so we know how important music is to Jesus building his church. That's all I'm saying. (laughs) I'm just saying, there's so many things we do in the West to be attractional, to get people to come to church, and it's the antithesis of the Great Commission, right? We're supposed to go, not bring them in. Um, The New Testament only talks about music two times. Written by the same author, and it's almost identical language. Colossians 3, Ephesians 5. So let's just be careful about its purpose. Music was never used one time in all the scriptures for evangelistic purposes. Right? Music is worship. And what kind of people can only worship? Believers. True? True? Right? Another seminar. (laughs) All I'm trying to say is um, even in persecuted cultures, you can lead people through (laughs) and prepare them. And he can't preach. He has to talk through the scriptures because it's an apartment and there's neighbors that can hear. And then they can teach break up into small groups and teach and disciple each other. And then they have to leave the same way that they came. So they're done about 2 o'clock, and it takes them to between 6 and 7 for them. So this is an all-day thing. right? This, I'm trying to even think, if it's biblical, it's doable, in any size church, any culture, this can be done even in a persecuted environment. Right? Because those sheep still have to be equipped, Right? to do the work of the ministry, okay? Let's continue. Again, each class is on the same material for each week for nine months. We showed you that. Um, The fourth Sunday of each month, I told you that you can get all the people together. Um, You can do that however you want. Again, this is just an idea, right? After those nine months, we did have a call for commitment. And this was not an invitation. So I'm going to back up here before you, get, <laughs> before you get distracted by all that. This is not an invitation. What we did after nine months, remember, we're finished with 1 Thessalonians, we're finished with discipleship material, 7th grade on up. Remember, we're still at the early stages, and this is not a program. So we're basically saying, okay, we're still learning as pastors what this is. I'm still learning as a pastor what to be a disciple maker, how to be one, because I have not been one all my life. And you remember the history yesterday. So would you be willing, this is how we phrase it, how many ever of you came through Sunday school, you went through the material, would you be willing to take the next step in learning what this disciple-making journey looks like with us? All right. After the service, when everyone's dismissing, I'm going to stay up front. Deacons gave us permission. I'm not even the senior pastor of the church yet. Right? Deacons gave, me, gave us permission. I said, just come on up here have a seat in the first couple rows and we'll have a, we'll have a conversation. All right? Are you with me? Sunny school morning service 9 months later do what? How many of you are willing to at least take the next step to explore what disciple making is? Have you arrived yet? <laughs> nope, is this a program? Nope. But you see what we're doing? You're getting in among the sheep. You're not leading from out front. You're not leading from behind. You're right in the middle. Let's continue to learn this together. Because I need to learn it too. Will you help me, people? Learn this lifestyle. Are you with me? Okay. I think it's like a super critical point to being a ministry leader. Okay? We always hear about leading from out front, leading from behind. I think shepherds lead from among, okay? And as a ministry leader, even though you may not be a pastor teacher, you need to lead the same way. You lead from among, right? And this is how raw, this is how green we were. And I think a lot of us are raw and green in this particular thing. So, in our church, we had 30 people come forward after the service. was it an invitation. 29 of them were women, and none of them were our deacons, right? That did not make me upset. Why would that not make me upset? 30 people, baby. (laughs) Are you kidding me? I wasn't expecting that much, right? Why did 29 women not make me upset? what did we go over yesterday acts 9 acts 16 right the gospel comes to the Western world pretty much on the shoulders of two fabulous women Acts 17 Paul said what Luke said what many prominent women were one to Christ in the early days of that church I'm actually getting pretty excited Why else am I getting excited? How has God created women to nurture as compared to men? Yeah. High relational. They're they're, they're motherly. So I'm really excited. Okay. I'm not mad at all at our leaders for not coming forward because I've been their leader. We've been their leaders for decades, and we ourselves were not being disciple-makers. So I didn't expect them to get it because they hadn't even watched it in our lives. Right? So it wasn't a surprise that a lot of ladies came forward because they're naturally nurturers. Okay? So anyways. So what we did was we took those 29 ladies. Right? We made 14 pairs. Right? So we would, let's say if you're two of the ladies that came, we would connect you together. And we have a third lady in one party. So, for your, we might put you three together. And the rest are just one on one. And then Paul Grenier, the one guy that came forward, I matched myself up with him. Are you with me? And this is only what we did. We sat down on Wednesday nights. This is when we carved out Wednesday nights. Right? Because we didn't begin with all three services, we began with Wednesday nights for about three or four years, right? And then we had to expand it to Sunday nights as it grew, and then we had to expand it to sunny school as it grew, okay? And we went through those nine books all over again for nine months. Why would we do that? Just think off the top of your hearts. Refresher, more familiar with? Ingrain it in them as they teach it? it, in them as they teach it? All three, yes. Also the, the one-on-one setting. Yes, we're getting warmer, much warmer. What have God's people, not even in their homes, been used to doing together? They'll pray together, but they don't ever hardly do what together outside of a classroom? Study the Word together. Right? I'm not talking about a ladies' Bible study or a men's Bible study. I'm talking about even a husband with a wife or a dad with their families. That's not going on in our homes. okay? Deuteronomy 6 hasn't been happening in many homes for a long time. I'm not even talking about a family altar i'm just talking about when they wake up when they walk by the way and when they lie down then the natural rhythms of life i'm talking about discipleship in the home i'm not even talking about a lecture or a sermon given in a home lectures and sermons in the home are epic failures if you're trying to love your children in jesus christ (laughs) right they need someone to walk with them remember jesus yesterday i chose you to be with you (laughs) so that i could send you out okay So we just go through those nine books for nine months again. How many of you have ever, you've heard this said, It's, it's been true in your own life. It's like, well, I've studied this passage 15 times before and I studied for the 16th time and I saw something new in there I'd never seen before. That's just the nature of God's word, isn't it? So these people are going through the same thing. We've gone through this for nine months. Now we're going through it again on Wednesday nights and I can't believe... And my, by the way, this is milk doctrine. Being studied by mature believers who have been in Christ for a long time. Even milk can refresh. Right? And so this is happening, but they're getting a burden for the, for, to share the richness of God's word. Because they're sharing how now they're not just going through it to re-familiarize, they're getting ready to be excited to share it with someone else who's newly saved. And it yeah, it's going to be ingrained. Are you are you with me? Okay? There's a question here.
1: You may have said that, I apologize.
0: No, no, no. If I, it. I like your salmon shirt. That's pretty cool. One
1: more that
0: At this point we're not there yet. Right. I get asked that question every time. We had really no paradigm at that point. We had no profile paradigm, right? We said, I just literally went down the road. You two study, you two study, you two study, you two study, you three study, and me and Paul, were the only guys. It was that, it wasn't, like I said yesterday, clear as ice and just as cold. It was clear but we didn't even know what we were doing. I mean, I know yesterday we fast-forwarded the tape a lot when we went through this, but I wanted to leave you guys a little flesh and blood to mull on overnight. But now we're going to rewind that tape and go clear back to the early years of our greenness because that's where most Bible-believing churches are going to be with us. And we're just setting people up to restudy, to refamiliarize themselves. Okay. Most, not all, of those pairs from that original group still disciple each other. But it's morphed into something that we'll talk more about later. Now we have a little bit more of a paradigm of how to match somebody up. But the majority of the matches are being done by our people, not us. The only people we're matching up with our people now are people that come in that are guests that we've never met before in our life. Like that couple I discussed from this past Sunday. Okay? And then you're gonna have people come in that are saved, and you're gonna have people that are gonna come in that are unsaved. We had Ryan and his wife Becky that came in three weeks ago. They were they were they were brought up in liberal Methodism in a CMA church that never preached the gospel. So they come in and, and they don't they're not born again. They're newly married. Right? They come to our our church picnic on a Sunday night. And I'm just sitting down with them, just talking, getting to know them, and, and say, hey, you know, we offer you know, spiritual mentors to everyone that comes. Would you guys like to have a spiritual mentor? And uh, someone just to lead you through the Bible. It's like, yeah. I said, you don't even have to come to a service. Remember yesterday? Just, just study the Bible with them. We'll give you the time. There's three times a week that we do that. And if those don't work, you can figure out your own time with them. But I'm thinking already, as I'm talking to these two, I'm thinking of Matt and Renee Shrout. Right? As a matter of, and, and I, I, I can, everyone knows where we're at right now. So before I even talked to Matt and Renee, who are at the picnic, I said, as a matter of fact, do you see that couple over there? With the, with the girl with the baby in the stroll? Yeah, 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 yeah. I said, that's them. I said, I'd like to connect you with them. What time's good for you? Sunday mornings at 9, Sunday nights at 6, or Wednesday nights at 7? They're looking at each other, kids' schedules, da-da-da-da. They both had previous marriages before, so they both brought kids into this thing, you know, and they're thinking about shared parenting. It's different now, right? The shared parenting and the sports schedules and school schedules and of those three, Sunday night, Sunday mornings at nine, that's good because we're coming to the morning service anyway, so we can be with them for an hour before the morning service. They're not saved yet. All right? The blessing of that is the first lesson in the Foundations book is the gospel, So I know that Matt and Renee, all right, I introduced them to them. They've gotten started, and where are they starting? Starting with the gospel, right? Starting with the gospel. This little simple Christianity book we have up here, you can order too. All this you can order with your church logo on it, right? All this is is lesson one of foundations. We pulled it out for our people as they build friendships at work and they say, hey, you want to do a Bible study? Well, yeah, sure, right? Then let's, do you mind if we just start here? Okay? And so they're going through this book right now. It could take them two to three months to go through this in Sunday school. If they don't trust Christ as their Savior and they're done with this, and they'll say, hey, look, let's keep in touch. You know, let's go out to eat. Let's stay friends. Well, what about the rest of this book well we'll get to that it doesn't matter it doesn't matter it's not a big deal right the biggest deal is that we just understand who jesus is first right what did we say yesterday 1 corinthians two fourteen, right the natural man doesn't receive the things of god because it's foolishness to him neither can he know them because it requires spiritual discernment right there's a big difference between pneumaticos and sarkikos <laughs> right so it's okay, we're going to stay your friends. Well, is it alright if we keep coming to church? You do whatever you want. We're going to be your friends. When do you want to go out to eat? Okay? And then we just continue on being their friends, whether they're saved or not. But they always know that Jesus is the reason why we exist. Alright? Does that make sense? So we didn't profile that well. Early on, brother. <laughs> we were just green, green, green. It's developed into that. But the lion's share of our people now are doing the matching themselves. They're obviously reaching. So whoever they reach, they're gonna disciple. They don't reach someone and say, hey, look, I've already got four, right? Sharon Badig, I've already led four to Christ and they're consuming all my time. If Sharon wins a fifth, right? She's gonna disciple that fifth. But remember with the other four, as you get down towards the map, how often do you meet with them? Remember that? Weekly, monthly, quarterly, two, three times a year. So you're providing time for them to go back and meet weekly, right? And I'm providing them three out of the four services a week time to do that too. All right, any questions so far? The reason why I go so slow through this is because, again, we're so program-driven, our brains are going 95 miles an hour programmatically, and we hear everything at that speed, and this is, remember, this is like, does your car move when you just put it in, park, put it in, in reverse without you putting your, pedal on, your your foot on the pedal? Mm-hmm. Mine do, yeah. right? If you're backing up and then you put your brake on and you put it in drive, if I put my car in drive, I don't even have to press the gas, but it'll start to creep a little bit, yeah. right? That's what we're talking about. We're, cr- we're not creepers, we're creeping. <laughs> okay? <laughs> it's just slow 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 okay remember we're about 17 years into this and we only have about 80% of our people participating right when those 30 people came forward we're running about a buck 80 right so we're a small to lower medium sized church all right now I just explained to you what's up here. I think sometimes we learn it better if you hear it and then see it. So again, we had the folks interested. Meet after the morning service. We paired them up. In time, we had more confident folks in that group that began to invite an unsaved friend to begin studying with them. So here's Sharon Badig and Barb Hickson studying with each other. Right? Sharon goes, Pastor, you know I work at to sand and gravel. She's this, you know, like the CFO there, right? Um, COO. (laughs) She's the lady that really makes sure the thing stays in operational health. And she goes, I got this friend at work. Do you mind if I start studying the Bible with her? Because they're studying with each other. Through nine months, they're going to get burdens depending on their giftedness and their capacity. And so what are you going to tell Sharon at that point? Are you going to tell her no? No finish with Barb over the next nine months, and then you're welcome to let your unsaved friend into this environment? You know? This is how green we are. We're getting these kind of questions for the very first time in our church's existence. Well, yeah, Sharon, I guess. Um, But but remember, she's not saved yet, right? No, and you and Barb are on Lesson 5, You don't want to bring her into Lesson 5 because she's unsaved. She's not going to get it. She goes, well, can I study with her on my own with Barb, and can we go back to Chapter 1? Yeah, I guess. (laughs) You know what I mean? Just make sure she gets the Gospel. Okay. All right. So Sharon starts meeting with her and Barb outside of Wednesday nights just to go through Lesson 1, and then on Wednesday nights, her and Barb continued to march through. Are you with me? This is how green we are. We're just creating opportunities for people to be we're equipping people, I think, to do that work of disciple-making ministry. Okay? So, yeah, in time that happened. The last bullet in time continued to happen. Other confident folks can invite someone even inside the church to follow them. I'm studying with Paul Grenier. And Paul Paul goes, Pastor, he goes, I know that Frank didn't come forward. He wasn't part of the original 30. He goes, but he knows we're studying on Wednesday nights, and he's seeing me and you studying, and he's interested. Can I start discipling Frank? Sharon's got an unsaved. Paul's got a saved. What are you going to tell him? You're going to tell him no? (laughs) But you got to figure out a way. So I said, well, hey, he's saved. We're here. He can join us here and finish through lesson nine. And then I guess you can take him back to lesson one. So that becomes a thing. So Frank joins us on Wednesday nights. And so on and so on and so on. And I'm telling you, my friends, I am just telling you, for us, the Holy Spirit blew his wind into those sails. He just did. I can't explain it, okay? It was totally a supernatural thing because it be out of that group of 30, there was more evangelistic burden that grew out of that. There were more people reaching out to people in the church to join them, right? More couples started studying with each other. They're walking by that room we gave them and they're watching people pray for their lost friends and then get into the Word. It's kind of like, I'm going down here to this room, you know, what's, what's, wow, so, yeah, let me go back this way, you know, right, and they just ask, they just ask, and over, over time, it just becomes more and more of a thing, okay, a few months into this, obviously, there's natural growth going evangelistically, um, folks in the church joining we did remind people publicly. Look, this is going on on Wednesday nights, this group of original 30s now about 60 strong. And those of you who want to know more about it, you know, would you 60 folks that are involved in this just please stand. It'd be a morning service family time. If you're just walking this new green path with us and we really don't know what we're doing yet, but would you 60 folks that are studying with each other on Wednesday nights just stand we did that. I didn't know what I was doing. We just did it. And all I said was the rest of you that haven't, you know, joined this yet, you don't have to. Remember, there's no guilt tripping here. There's no pressure because you're still learning it for the first time as a pastor too. If you want to attach yourself to any one of these people or you don't want to attach yourself to any one of these people, you've got someone sitting next to you or in front of you or behind you, or someone that you're in a ladies' Bible study with, if you want to start with them, just let us know. Just let us know. So Paul Grenier and I are studying, right? Paul's now studying with Frank, but Paul's got my list. He's got my list of everyone studying and who they're studying with. Paul's my admin guy for this. In the early days, it was all handwritten on the back of a sheet. Okay, That went from Paul to Alkaim And now it's al because in time we had to hire a full-time pastor to oversee all of the disciple-making ministry as it grew. But now they have a computer-generated list of everyone who's studying with everybody, and we try to track it as best we can. It's always an organic, moving document because, like I said, people start and they quit, and other people are added. Every week that document changes. Okay, But now I know what it means more and more to do 1 Peter 5. Shepherd the flock and oversee them. <laughs> when you get the sheep doing that, they report up and they keep you, right? It's harder, like we said yesterday, for folks to fall through the cracks that way. So this happened as we would have people stand and, and more, uh, more and more folks over time joined. Uh, this next bullet is Huge. We found this to be huge. This was just an idea we had. We had no idea when we did it how influential it was going to be. But don't forget that there's other stages before this. We started having people one service a month. This was just the Sunday night service that were involved studying together, stand and give very, very, Short testimonies of the blessings of studying the Word with another believer and the blessings of God providing for them from their prayer time, witnessing opportunities right in their Jerusalem with inside their Jerusalem. Are you with me? Right. So, this would be Mrs. Cover standing. She's, her husband's a deacon in the church. She's never been a disciple all her life. And she goes... I'm studying, what's your first name? Kathy. Kathy. I'm studying with Kathy. She's never discipled before. We're just learning to study the Bible together. And she sits down. How is that a blessing to people? (laughs) Praise Jesus, right? Most people aren't doing that. Right? The next month, you stand and she goes, I never thought this would have happened. Because I grew up in a church that all they did was door to door, and I was out there every Monday night at 7 o'clock, knocking on doors. And she goes, I never thought this would happen, but every, every week when we study together, we pray for our unsaved friends and our natural rhythms of life, right in our own Jerusalem, within our Jerusalem. And I started to expect God to give me an evangelistic opportunity with a friend, and he did it. He did it. And then she sits down, and what does that do to influence your people? Yes. You were gonna say something else? Yeah. Is that what you were gonna say? Yeah, that I think it's good because it gives them hope and encouragement and makes them realize, wow, this actually does work. <laughs> and and I don't know you, Kathy, all right. You seem like you're really a sharp gal that's got it together, you know. But <laughs> but but when you have you have not just the sharp ones staying, they have a huge influence. But if you have the more simple, ordinary person stand and say that, and then you've got them both saying that, you know how much that says to people that are listening and watching? Okay? Because if she's, if she's been in the Lord a long time, and she's a sharp believer, and she's standing up, and she's humbly saying, I have not been doing this all my life, and I've been a believer for 40 years. What a blessing this is. And her tears trickling down her cheek. What's that saying to all the other people that have been in the Lord 40 years or more that have never done it? It's immense. (laughs) It's immense. Right? Attach some of that to the one another's, the 53 one another's in the New Testament. Edifying one another? What torn nets is she helping mend in Sister So-and-So's life, who's in the Maturity Matters class, that's never done this. Right? Or maybe the last time Sister So-and-So went out on door-to-door after doing it for 30 years, she actually did get the door slammed in her face and it actually cut her finger and she had to go to the emergency room. And she was told by her pastor, well, that's just the persecution you go through for evangelism. And it's just like... And she's actually, it could be, I don't know. Nothing wrong with door to door. I'm just saying, but now it's her hairdresser. Now it's the place that she goes to for coffee twice a week. Right? Now it's where she, where she banks. Now it's where she walks. We have two ladies in our church. Every Saturday morning, they go to the same park and they walk the same park and they pray. And every Saturday morning, they say, Lord, lead us to someone that we can talk to and befriend today. God answers that prayer every Saturday morning. They pray on a park bench. (laughs) They get up and they walk. And as they walk, it's uncanny. Right in your Jerusalem, within your Jerusalem, in a natural rhythm of life. This is not even carving out something again to do extra for evangelism. Jesus did it that way. People are hungry, you got to eat, I'll feed 10,000 of them. It's dinner time. It's a natural rhythm of life, right? People go fishing for a living, I'm going to go fishing with them. It's a natural rhythm of life. Matthew 26, when he looks up, what does he see? He sees highways, and he sees byways, he sees people in their natural rhythms of life, He's a natural rhythm guy. He's a carpenter. He gets the blue-collar lifestyle. I'm just going to go meet people within my purview of my Jerusalem within my Jerusalem. The natural rhythms of life. And now they're standing and giving testimonies for that. That's really what became the the agent or the tool that God used to really expand interest and involvement in disciple-making. That's why I stop here for a little bit. The Wednesday night, yeah, people seeing it, people starting to evangelize, people starting to ask, people starting to see wanting to be added, the 60 people standing, right? If you're interested, see these people. But really the catalyst, the catalyst was green people like their pastor standing and saying, I can't believe what God taught me today, or I can't believe that there was actually a lost person, and I wasn't even looking for them in my natural rhythms of life. I was just going through the motions of my every day, and they were like right there the whole time. I didn't even know. That's when it really, are you with me? So now every service that I lead, I have what's the good news about the good news? Testimonies. There's not one testimony service in our church that I'm a part of that anymore, and there's nothing wrong with this. It says, Pastor, I praise God, I'm cancer-free. Is that worth praising the Lord over? Yeah. They do it, but they're just doing that with their disciples now. Every public testimony is, what's the good news about the good news? Because even the lady with stage three cancer Her mission in life is not primarily to beat her cancer. What's her mission in life? To make a disciple. That is so hard to wrap our minds around, isn't it? It is absolutely bizarro to think that someone who's facing death can have a mission that's higher than beating her cancer. But they're doing it. And when she stands to give a testimony about what's the good news about the good news, and she struggles to her feet, right? And she's leaning on the chair, and she says, you're not going to believe this, everybody, but, and it's not about her cancer. That's a God thing. No man can create that. Okay? The testimonies were huge. Some of you have been to our church on a Wednesday night. In our prayer meeting, I started off, what's the good news about the good news? And who starts that testimony time? We'll get to this in a little bit. I do. Why do I start that testimony time every time? They become like their pastor. Right? You want to know when we started these testimony times? Right? I was compelled to start them, but I couldn't point to any one of my deacons or pastors and say you're next because they were like me. They weren't disciple makers. And I wasn't upset at them. We got this group of 60 now, still don't include any deacons (laughs) or pastors. We're just nudging forward. They're standing and giving testimonies now And ministry leaders are doing what? They're getting convicted. I'm not doing this. Why is Pastor so patient with me? Why isn't he like come on guys? Can't. It's my fault you're the way you are. Right? It's my fault. Let's just go. Let's be the example. Yes. So you had a church that was brand new in this.
1: Mm-hmm. to get the foundation built and get familiar with it and, you know, you can get everybody's perspectives and then you start going through it and then maybe after four or five weeks you meet somebody and you're like, oh, I could go through this person, you know, a new person with it because I've kind of processed it with this group of people. So Mm -hmm. you put
0: Yeah, I, the answer to your question is yes. Like if I was, um, I, think, I think Will's built a culture here that's like prime for this. So like I, like I said, you do you. <laughs> I'm sharing with you our model. You do your model, but it's gotta be unto this end. What I would do though in a church like this, and I know, I know Will's way ahead of us on this, what I would do is make sure that I at least our people knew that their pastor had written or approved for them what they were going to study. Because what happens when people get super jazzed and excited about doing this, sheep have a tendency to just kind of wander and go find to study what they want to study. They get so excited. And then you've got people that are advanced learners, what I call in our high school we have AP classes, <laughs> right? And then you've got people all the way down that have IEPs. You know what an IEP is? They have those in Texas guess what? You got baby believers that are at both ends of the spectrum. I got Karen Smitko, the lady we led to Christ, Karen and Dan Smitko, my first two. They were Noah's baseball coaches. Okay? They both got saved. Karen did the foundation books in seven days. But it's an average of two and a half years. Her husband took three years to get through it. So I got a wife who's like, right she's like apollo 11 right and 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 dan's just okay just like one one turn of a screw every day and it's good right that's my job but he was growing so so but in karen's case man when you add when you add this and you add this and gazillions of ways to learn and places to graze They'll find them. They'll run ahead. So it's just necessary that you provide as an educator, as a pastor teacher, we're equippers, right? You provide for them because you know how to protect your sheep. You provide for them a way to grow as quickly, as hungry as they want to, only you know what they're feeding on. You say, well, that's lording over the flock. No, it's not. It's equipping them and protecting them. Now, along the way, Karen would say, Pastor, I got this book, and it's really good. I think, can I study it with... No, Karen, listen, let's read it together. Maybe it's a book that we can add to our map. So you read all you want, but let's make sure that if it's quality, all of our people can teach each other that resource. And let's add it to our map. So you're always allowing fast learners ways to build the map but you're also giving them material to grow as fast as they want. And you're always going to have the IEP people. Hey, listen, what happens when you have someone deaf that's born again? What happens when you have someone that's blind that's a new believer? What happens when you have someone who's mute? What happens when you have someone that's severely learning disabled and will never grow past a kindergarten reading level. Right? See how quiet it gets? There's a reason for that. Because we have always thought we were doing discipleship, feeding people meat, providing them classrooms, providing them formal opportunities, institutional opportunities to learn and to grow. I'm telling you, when you're doing disciple making, it's like shepherding your children at home. It's like being a teacher or a principal of a school that's got pre-K all the way up. You have to cater, equipping the saints to do the work of the ministry to every age level. We've even learned that now because we're taking the foundations and we're dividing them up into four foundations for children. Okay? And then we're going to be doing foundations for, for preschool. And you know what I'm saying? So yeah, we've got mute, we've got deaf, we've got blind, we've got IEP, and then when you are when you're taking someone who's a capable disciple like Mrs. Cover, right? And you're putting them with an IEP person, how frustrating typically would that be for a lady of her season faith? But now what an incredible joy it is, right? just one spiritual cheerio a week, that's it. We're not used to going at that pace, right? So you're just providing it. So it's an excellent question. So for here, because you've already taken strides towards this, I think that kind of model could work on a Wednesday night over in the fellowship hall with 10 people, as long as they know where they're starting, as long as they know where they're headed, and there's no soul left behind in relationship, their ability to learn slowly or quickly. And they all know that if they come across a good resource, they can share it with pastor and maybe put it on the map someday. I think you got to have a map. Because I'll tell you what, any Joe can walk in the church, any Joe could walk in the church and just be an IQ genius and be articulate and want to come in and be a teller instead of a learner. And I'll tell you what, you know, we all know how those people can just take a church and distract it literally in a half hour, and they're a first-time visitor. Right? So, so, yeah. When those people come in, you say, oh, praise God, would you like to have a spiritual mentor? And all of a sudden, genius is asked to do what? When you come in and you're a first-time visitor, it's like, you know, we'd like to offer you a spiritual mentor. Genius has to do What? And you find out right away whether he's a disciple-maker or whether he just likes being a genius. Seriously. I can profile those people 10 miles before I see them because you can hear them. They come in, and I know exactly who I'm going to give to them. And I'm going to give them someone that's a slower thinker than they are, but definitely more humble than they are. Protect the flock, and then your people start doing it too. So yes, the short answer to your question is absolutely yes, but everything has to be done discerningly, cautiously. Why? Because we're protecting the sheep. We're not just giving those people an opportunity to grow. Growing people want to protect the whole. So as a pastor teacher, that gift, when you walk into a room, you just have this, you see everybody, and you know where everybody's at, You know, you just, I don't want to lose any of them, right? And sometimes we get so excited about some of this stuff, we'll go and we'll forget. So as a pastor, that's why God gives a pastor-teacher gift. Praise God for that. Praise God for your gift. Praise God for everyone's gift, right? God gives a pastor-teacher gift because when he walks into a room, he doesn't have tunnel vision. He walks into a room, he just sees. He's got divine peripheral vision. It's not omniscient. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying he's an awareness that God gives. And, there, and there's, there's, there's this desire to just protect. Is everyone okay? All right? I want to feed. All right? I want to be among you. All right? So that, that kind of thing. Yeah. I think Arise is ready to go. Yeah. Did that answer your question? Okay. All right. So these testimonies were huge, they're huge. I think I said that already. <laughs> just, I want you to be encouraged because, again, it's the, really the no-names of the church that become the examples. and It can be that way in your church. It was for us. Okay? More and more people began to offer friends outside the church. Again, those, those, those testimonies just crescendoed things. And now we're having a hard time keeping up with who wants to study with who. So we're asking for more help. Right? We're having, by this time, we're adding another time where they can do this together. We're saying, look, just do this on Sunday nights. Less than a year later, maybe a year later, we're saying, we've got to open up Sunday school. I mean, it's just kind of really, kind of not exponential, but it's really healthy, solid growth. Okay. And again, like I said yesterday, if you're doing children's church, children on Wednesday night, and we've, But you want to disciple this gal, but you don't want to quit children's church, and you shouldn't. We shouldn't ever say, well, I'm not going to do children's church because I'm going to disciple on Wednesday nights. Or I'm not going to usher anymore on Sunday nights because, because I want to disciple on Sunday nights. No, that's the pastor's job to just, again, look at the whole big picture and just say, okay, we can't make one ministry of service expendable because we get to do another good thing. We've got to provide an opportunity for all of it. But that's my job to do that. Okay? Um, because you have a lot of ministry leaders that just like the sound booth people, right? You took my sound booth guy for, for the morning service or the Sunday schools, and he's discipling who's going to run the board. That happens. You just, we just got to protect that from happening, right? Nursery, right? You took my nursery worker. Sunday nights. Oh, man, I'm so sorry. I didn't know that. They were just excited about discipling somebody. All right, I'll go talk to them. I made those mistakes. I still make those mistakes. <laughs> but we go back and we apologize. We say, no, we're going to give you this time. Let's just work it together. So it's definitely a thing now. But it's worth managing, you know, and shepherding. Out of all of this grew a people, right? So now when you got over 100 people involved in disciple-making, right, There's more people coming to church. Out of this group of original 30 plus to the 60, to the 100, there's a group that says, you know what? Um, We'd really love to be the front lines every service of greeting guests. So think about that. Usually the pastor, the pastors, are the ones who are able to see who the guests are because the rest of the people really don't know the flock that well. And they're not really interested, because they're just going through the motions of worship. But now you've got a group of people who are disciple-makers who become soul-conscious. And they know the flock, and so they know who's not part of the flock. And now they're starting to say, Pastor, I would like to, with these people, Go greet these people and invite them to be their their mentor or connect them with a mentor. Are you okay with that? Okay? When your people ask you that, then you know you've had something healthier built up from the bottom when you've been doing this with them, not ahead of them or behind them. Okay? Make sense? So now we got about 20 people, all right, in any given service. Right? They're not out there. They just know the flock. They just they just know and they find them. We hand out gift bags in the morning service for guests. Now every Sunday morning when I stand up to welcome guests, this is what I have to I have to say this. I'm so glad you're you're here today. Whether you've come because you've been invited by someone you're doing a Bible study with, that's the majority of our guests. (laughs) Or you've just come because you found us on the internet. we're glad that you're here you probably have already been given a gift but if you somehow got in and no one gave you one i'd like to give you one now most of the time all the guests have already been given a gift by who that group and i know when they've been given a gift by that group what are they being invited to bible study If you want, hey, we're glad to have you here. How'd you find out? You know, small talk. By the way, if you want to join a personal Bible study, just let us know. We'd love to help you do that. You don't even have to come to church here. Just let us know. Oh, wow, okay. You know, some do, some don't. But at least they're they're made aware. Okay? But every gift bag has one of these. So I can say, inside that gift bag, right? You were, invi- you were probably invited to a Bible study this morning. And if someone missed you, and we just gave you a bag, I want you to know as the pastor that we offer every guest a personal Bible study with a spiritual mentor. It works well, because we live in the city of Mentor, right? So we're going to give you a spiritual mentor and mentor. Right? And they're like, oh, wow, Okay. So, just think about it. You don't have to say yes. Just know it's available. And our folks would love to study the Bible with you. Right. Oh, this last bullet all these folks are being offered coffee or dinner. It's part of the, you know, these 20 some folks that are out there. And I'll say from the pulpit, you can watch our live stream. All right? I'll say from the pulpit, they probably invited to dinner or coffee. Our people know that the church pays for that. I think one of the principles of Luke 16 in the parable of the unjust steward is spend money to buy time. Spend money to buy time. So our people take them to Starbucks. They'll take them to TJ's on the Avenue. They'll take them to Panera. They'll take them to Chipotle. They'll take them to wherever. And they come back that night. They'll hand in the receipt to our treasurer. He cuts them a check for reimbursement. And they just bought two hours with a new family. Was it worth it? Yeah. And I don't ever want disciple-making to be a burden for my people. You spend money to buy time. Everyone eats lunch after church on Sunday. It's a natural rhythm of life, right? Where's disciple-making done? In the natural rhythms of life, not special events, not planned occasions. The best, I didn't say all, I said the best disciple-making is done in the natural rhythms of life. We're just providing time for that. And money. You'll probably, if you're a pastor, you'll probably have a deacon who oversees your finances who's more of a bean counter type, and this will give him some heartburn. But he'll get over it. (laughs) Especially he'll get over it when he becomes a disciple maker himself. And I've really seen our bean counter deacon get over his heartburn over this when he had, he got to use the money for himself and his disciple. <laughs> it's like that was the last time we had ever conversation about that <laughs> dave's a good guy i love dave i love dave every group of people has has their bean counters jesus even had him in his right He carried the money. I think Philip was the bean counter. But yeah, watch the money carrier too, right? Watch the guy who takes the deposit to the bank, right? (laughs) All right. In time, make an initial step of finishing the foundations a requirement for membership. Now, the first most important, hang on with me here, all right? The, first, the, most, the most important two words here. Forget all this. The most important two words right now are the first two. And what are they? Let's just say that all together. In time. Slow. Put it in drive, no gas pedal. In time. We did not do this till about eight years, nine years into this process. If it's biblical, it's doable, any size church... Any culture slow. So let me explain why we did this, okay? So, anyway, let's run through this and I'll explain why. By the time most are interested in membership, they'll probably already have a disciple anyway. Remember, it takes two and a half years to go through foundations, okay? They're introduced to a mentor on week one of the Welcome to Our Family class. If they've not had a disciple yet, because they were one of those people that came in on a Sunday and said, no, I don't want a mentor, but I'll continue to come just to kind of feel out the environment. But they keep coming, and they want to become a member now. right? So they, for week one of the class, we just go, hey, we hand this out to every new prospective member. And in first class, this is what we explain to them. We're not here primarily to tell you about our ecclesiology. We will. But we're solid with that. We're not changing. That's not really our Pledge of Allegiance. It's just what the Bible says a church ought to be. You'll go through that in this class. But this is really what our goal is. Our goal is for you to become a functional disciple maker here. Okay. So right here, we'll show them. We go through Let's Begin. Okay. And I said, right now, if you've said no to Let's Beginning, that's fine. I'm so glad you're here. All right. We had a, a, a pastor. He was in the graduate of the school I went to. Um, three Easter's ago, called in six Easter Sunday morning to his assistant pastor and stayed home and blew his head off. Right, thriving uh, conservative Southern Baptist church in our town, and Bob was a friend. Just took us took our breath away. Well, that's he's going to have some people come over to our church. Are they wounded? Right? Our people are meeting them, don't know who they are, like to invite you in a Bible study. No, 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 no. (laughs) No. Right? And I see them, because I know who they are. I was like, look, you come in and leave whenever you want. You sit on the back row, you heal. Just heal. You want to pray, and weep together, let's do it. Right? Discipleship ain't going to begin with those people anytime soon. But with the Woods family, they were from that family, from that church family. They came over. They didn't begin discipleship. But then they showed up at the membership class. So that means for the months that they're there, some good healing's happening. Right? So they're there. So week one, it's not a surprise to them when we say, hey, look, we're glad you're here. Take the class. Welcome to our family. Let's meet our family. And by the way, We'd love to introduce you to a mentor now, right? So we gave them Dave and Barb Hickson. And they said, okay. I'm not going to go fast, right? They're just starting foundations, so what's going to happen? Listen to the dynamic. They're going to be way done with the membership class long before they're done with foundations. So there's nothing cookie-cut about this. It's very organic, but very shepherd-like and very patient to the person. Flexibility, not institutional programs, not timelines. This is that's not the way you raised your kids. Right? Flexibility with progress, flexibility with progress. That's what shepherding does. So so yeah, the woods know that they've got to finish the foundation books now before they become a member. As soon as they're done with the content. Of this book they've already taken the class so they can come up to the Dave and Barb or to anyone and say yo we're done with foundations we'd like to become a member now and you say yes congregation votes on them but now they know the Sunday after the vote what's their Pledge of Allegiance John Tammy I'd like for you to meet a new friend of mine that came this morning and his wife. And John and Tammy even know then, I'm introducing them for what person? What, what purpose? As soon as they shake their hands, John and Tammy know they're going to be shepherding that couple till Jesus comes, as long as they're both at grace. Do I expect John and Tammy to disciple any other people? They're already following Dave and Barb. Do I expect them to disciple any other people than those two? I don't. But at least one. <laughs> at least one. Will they in the in the future? They did. Because as they heal and they're getting back up on their feet and they're getting healthy, they're witnessing, they're reaching while they're following, while they're training, and it just, the Spirit of God just blows wind into that. But it's all patient and in time. So, everyone that becomes a member at Grace now knows (laughs) what? They're not primarily becoming a member to mow the grass or to sing in the choir. Remember yesterday? They're not becoming a member so they can teach, they're not primarily becoming a member because they love the way the pastor preaches. They're not becoming a member because they walked into the food court of church opportunities and they liked the way this church tasted best. Are you with me? How do people pick churches today? It's a food court. And it's on me. I get to choose. All right? We're far, so far away. And I don't even blame the people. They don't know what they don't know. I don't even get upset with them anymore. All right? But when they come here, When they come here, or when they come to your place, gradually they'll know really what you're all about. Okay? And I'll tell you what, that is Smokey the Bear shepherding. Because before we got into this culture, I'll tell you what, people that are involved with the arts, that are your music people, uh, they have the most passive-aggressive plan, usually in your church. They'll be the sweetest, but they'll be the most intentional. And they'll just kind of boom, boom, boom. But they know what they want. You affect their music schedule, you affect their choir, you affect this, that, or they can be edgy. They can be edgy. You get a Sunday school superintendent that really has a high degree of the gift of teaching, and their primary pledge of allegiance is not disciple-making, they're going to take their degree of teaching and let it lord over the flock. No one can pick a teacher, no one can train a teacher, no one can do a schedule of teaching, no one can divide classes up at age appropriate, no one can provide curriculum like I can. That's why you made me leader of this group. No! You're a leader of this group, now at Grace, because you're a disciple maker. We could abolish all Sunday school right now, and you still have a purpose. Are you with me? I'm not exaggerating when I say that. (laughs) Let me tell you a true story. So last general election, the LGBT community in our church, and I love them all. Some of them are my really good friends. Um, And they're shocked when I see them in public and I hug them. Because they know the difference in the ethic. They just know. But they're shocked that someone that could have a difference of an ethic can love them like that. I just love them like I do any other Joe Say person. Right? The LGBT community was really planning on Hillary Clinton winning the last election. They were. Our local state representative, I had lunch with him, he's a believer, and uh, he said, Tim, I'm telling you, they're drawing up legislation behind closed doors. They're doing it, I've read it, okay? And uh, if, if she gets elected, right, for you guys, you're going you're gonna to be seeing some prison time. You said it's not going to be longer than a couple, two, three days. But the first LGBT couple that comes and asks, because <laughs> if it passes in Ohio, I mean, she's going to make it a federal thing, right? Um, you say no to marrying them, uh, the legislation says that's going to be a civil crime. Okay, a civil crime. So, 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 so I'm not trying to get you... To me, that's not a surprise, right? It's only by God's mercy we're not there anyway. Does Jesus spill his church even if that's our culture? Well, he does in all parts of the world, right? So we already covered that. So that didn't bother me. All I did is I went back to my staff and I said, guys, look, um, the night of the election, you know, we got a few days before the inauguration, right? The night of the election, if Hillary wins, the next morning we're calling the state of Ohio and we're revoking our license to marry So, because the next day we're going to be getting calls from the LGBT community and they're going to say, will you marry us? And just say, I'm sorry, we just don't have the license to marry here. And you say, well, you're a cop-out, you're a weakling, you're a compromiser. I don't know. I mean, I've read my Bible quite a few times and I've never seen one present active imperative that tells me I have to officiate a wedding. (laughs) Or even bury anybody. I mean, show me. Right? Did Jesus run when it wasn't his time? Yeah. Did Paul run when it wasn't his time? (laughs) Yeah, you can get away. Get away. Right? It didn't make you a weakling. It makes you smart. (laughs) You want to stay alive longer. Right? And Jesus knew his fullness of time. It wasn't time. So anyways, you see what I'm saying? What I'm saying is this. If she gets elected and we don't revoke our license, and we call they call and say we don't marry gay people. And on a Sunday morning, and you just play with me here, because this was almost real for us, at least in Lake County, Ohio. Right? On a Sunday morning, I arrive at church with my people, and there's yellow tape around our property. Police tape, crime scene tape. You're not meeting. You ain't singing today. You ain't teaching today. As a matter of fact, you may never. Follow with me here. Please follow with me. If it's biblical, it's doable, any size church, any culture. We don't have a church until we can exist without programs in a building. We don't have one. I don't even think in our culture that's extreme. Not anymore, anyway. Okay? And it isn't, wouldn't it be a blessing as a pastor if your people weren't shocked when they showed up to church and saw yellow tape, but they knew exactly what to do? Pick up the phone and call who? Call the person that's discipling them and call the person they're discipling. Hey, let's get down to McDonald's. Let's meet this morning. Let's meet this morning. We had put together for our people, all of our disciple makers, a house plan, a community plan if Hillary got elected. Not only were we going to pull our license to marry, we had taken all of our leaders and all of our sub-leaders and all of our disciple makers. We got all of our people on a map and we found homes. I called all those people and say, if, 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 hopefully we'll never have to do this, all of our people need to know where to go and where to meet because Jesus is still going to be building his church Probably even more so because we've got disciple makers. So we had 25 homes. Approved, ready to go. No fear, no anxiety. This will be cool. (laughs) Seriously. That was their mindset. This will be cool. (laughs) And as a pastor, what are you thinking? I already know. Right? Right? I already know. I already know. Right? And then I can take our four pastors and I can put them in half hour increments to go visit all 25 homes on a Sunday. We're cool. We're cool because I know people are shepherding people. I know that sounds like ridiculously extreme. I don't know. As a shepherd, you just love it when people are capable of shepherding each other, and, and it's awesome. It's not the millennial kingdom. <laughs> I just know he's recording it. Oh, it went back on. I didn't even touch it to put it on mute accidentally. <laughs> you know when when. One-third the hosts of heaven fell, brother, right? Right? One-third of that one-third. Yeah, that's right, that's right. They do, how do you you perform an exorcism on technology? Because that's where one-third of the demons go in churches. Now, so true, isn't it? You know, it's happened to you. You know because of the weird noises it makes when it does go bad. (laughs) And it kills everyone's ears. Anyways, any questions on this? Any questions? Without disciple-making is presenting to your people a plan, like I just talked about, a shock. Because they're all thinking what? Well, I do Sunday school. I do music. I do landscaping. I do ushering. I do, I do. That's where they found their niche. Because they're not disciple-makers. Yes, sir?
1: To for our church that I look forward to say that's what I think would be a wonderful thing because that's not just to be like Tim. I think to be like what Christ tells us to be. That's it, brother. Yeah. 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 And having again thinking of even if it's just thirty people or fifty people or hundred, whatever it is,
0: you got that many people all focused on that that's it. goal. Years ago, there was a book written by a charismatic, and it was a fair enough book. It was just about a mini revival that happened in in, in in the Bronx, New York, Brooklyn, New York. It's called Fresh Wind, Fresh Fire. Are you familiar with that book? You know, God, God can do revival anytime God wants to do revival. You have studied the revivals, right? Right. Um, Welsh revivals, Wales revivals, English revivals, American revivals, First Great Awakening, Second Great Awakening, Philadelphia prayer meeting revival, New York City prayer meeting revivals, businessmen prayer meeting revivals. God can do what he's going to do. But what I'm telling you right now, we are not in revival. And we have not been for 17 years. Right? This is Normal. Jesus did not say, I will only build my church when my father sends revival. (laughs) Right? I mean, just think about it. The founder of the Ohio Bible Fellowship, who's now home with the Lord, one of the guys I interviewed, he said, our church is not growing, Tim, and yours won't either, right? Because we're not living in a time of revival. He told me this, godly man, but this is where he was. He said, God only grows his church in times of revival. And you'll see it again if he sends one. And as a young guy, again, I'm going to practice 1 Timothy 5, 1 and 2. I'm going to treat him as a father with respect. I didn't say anything. But it bothered me. It bothered me. Okay? So anyways. Yeah, we got a long way to go. You, you come and visit Grace, you'll see a lot of problems. And you'll say, boy, they got a long way to go. But hopefully you'll hear from some people when you come there and you'll be able to see it and watch them. So if I'm gone, like I said yesterday, it's a healthy church. If it closes down, or is closed down and the people know what to do, it's also a healthy church if it loses its pastor and they go on seamlessly. They're a disciple-making church if they lose their pastor and they can go on seamlessly. We discussed that yesterday because it's... The natural fruits of disciple-making are Second Timothy 2 Timothy 2.2. They happen inside the local church. And if that's not happening, you're probably doing a lot of right things. You're just not doing the disciple-making thing. Okay? All right. For us, we had four initial layers of the rollout. Again, it starts with pastoral approval. Um, you lead that, right? Set up your Sunday school. Set up your First Thessalonians. Do whatever you're going to do. Call for, you set up the calling for initial people you're going to go through. Uh, Paul Grenier helped me out. He was my only on paper at that time administrator of this. Okay? In time, it'll become a trusted, more mature believer going through the material with other believers. This goes back. Our brother stepped out to take a call real quick. Um, Yeah. Yeah. This is going to help follow up with what I said to him before. But in time now, what organically naturally happens are more mature believers being attached to someone who's less mature than they. Remember up front, real green, we just put two people together. We didn't know what we were doing. And then it just kind of grew out from there. But now that's just kind of a natural thing. It's almost like the way things fall out naturally in your home. Okay? You might have a kid who's 13 that's more mature than your 16-year-old who ends up being a leader in your home over that 16-year-old in a number of different ways, right? So this isn't a biological age thing. This is a spiritual age thing, right? And I'm telling you, it just naturally happens. But what's also not holistically natural but mostly natural is your younger people that get saved want to follow the person that led them to Christ, but they also want a Titus 2 mentor, So for instance, Rochelle, she's 24, she works at a downtown Cleveland office, and she was praying that God would give her a soul in her natural rhythms of life. Lord, just give me one, okay? And she's looking, a natural rhythms of life's work. (laughs) And so she just happened to be walking the halls one day and and walking with the security guard. Security guard's name was Oasis, right? And wow, Lord, this might be my one, (laughs) you know? So her and Oasis would start talking every day as Oasis was making her rounds for security around the building. She'd catch up with Rochelle. And uh, Oasis is, I don't know, she's probably low to mid-20s too. Um, Rochelle led her to Christ in May, right? Oasis has been discipling with Rochelle, but not coming to church until two weeks ago. So think about that. She's meeting with Oasis for discipleship on Wednesday nights out in the courtyard and Oasis hasn't been to a service yet. But when I see Rochelle and Oasis out in the courtyard, what do I know is going on? I know what they're studying. I know where they're heading. And I know Rochelle. I know who Rochelle's disciple is in Courtney Coyro. And I really know how Courtney's growing. And I know who Courtney's disciple is. And I know how they're even more mature than Courtney. Are you with me? Hang on here. So now, Courtney's discipler is now a spiritual great-grandparent. Right? 17 years into it, it may happen faster for you. Okay? But I know Oasis is going to come to a service sometime. Sure enough, she shows up two weeks ago. But guess who I'm baptizing next Sunday? Yep. She's only been to her second morning service this last Sunday. She walked out and she said to Pastor Mike, she goes, wow, I think this is going to be my new church family. But think about that. She didn't visit first and like the church and say that. In a disciple-making environment, you're going to find out that's typically going to be their new normal. It's not a product that you put on that people are impressed with so they come. Right? That's pragmatism. Right? The end justifies the means. Well, that's what you can slip into. If the end is to get people to come to church, they'll justify any means that you can use to get them there. And that's where 1 Thessalonians 2 gets a little sticky because the Apostle Paul says, I'm not here to please man but God. So you got to be real careful with that, and you all work that out in your own time. I'm not here to be that person for you. I want to encourage you. It's amazing, again, what you don't need to do or need to have when you have a disciple-making church. It's interesting. And please write that down. You may not know what that means exactly now, but as you become a disciple-making church, you will begin to see. It is amazing what you don't need to do or what you don't need to have when you have a disciple-making church. That's as important as the statement is how we started off, if it's biblical, it's doable, so forth and so on. Okay? Okay. In time, this will save your church thousands of dollars in their budget. You'll just see. (laughs) Right? And it will save your church thousands of hours in preparing for programs. Right? And events. (laughs) So in other words, let me explain that. And again, I know this is going to make not not much sense to you. So, like right now, right? Initially, we no longer had to have youth evangelists or traveling evangelists visit our church. For our church, that was $12,000 a year. Okay? It was about six grand to have one team in and about six grand to have the other team in. A disciple making church, it's amazing what you don't need to have and what you don't need to do. Right? When you have people doing disciple-making, do you need an evangelist to come in? No. What's the evangelist MO? Invite your friends to a... Now hang with me here. I'm not being caustic. I'm just talking through. Invite your people to church. So who could give them the gospel? The evangelist. Play it out. Cut the team, six grand check. Right? I got my unsaved friend to church. He at least heard the gospel. It's off my conscience now. (laughs) We get calls from evangelists like all the time. Like my really good friends. Say, can I come and have a week of meetings? No. I love you, man. Well, why not? This is my gift. This is what I do. I need to come and encourage your church. And, and I would, so I tell him, you can come for a week. I told one guy this. You come for a week. I'll pay you for being here. But I want to pay you to be here to listen and to watch. Because he kept calling me, and he kept pounding my phone. So I said, finally, I'll give you your six grand. That's really why you're calling me you got to fill meetings. You got to put a trailer over your kid. I said, let's just get real. He's a really good friend. You got to have money for your tank, money for food in your stomach. I get it. You come, I'll pay you the six grand, but I want you to come and watch. Cause I understand why you don't get it. Just come and be encouraged that you're actually not needed in some places so go someplace where they need you and isn't that what paul did remember yesterday first thessalonians 1 he went to those regions beyond thessalonica and what verses 8 and 9 say we don't need you was paul excited about that yeah you kidding me right what do you write to what do you write to the roman church in chapter 16 you're healthy Look at this. This is a church he writes a letter to. He's never even seen him before and met him before. He says, you're healthy. Here's the gospel content. You need this. Here's how it practically lays out in chapters 12 to 16. And by the way, I'm coming to you, but you're going to be my launching pad to Spain. You don't need me in Rome. (laughs) And I'm thankful. But if you'll gather together interdependently... And let me jump off your spiritual diving board into Spain. That's where I need to be. That's what evangelists do in the Bible. Yeah. Anyways. So what, what was the evangelist mindset when after the week? He didn't come. Oh. He wouldn't even let me give him six grand for free. I will. Van <laughs> I don't know whether to hug you or kick you or something. <laughs> All right. I want you to know that for us, this is a quick model. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this. In time, our, some of our leaders got involved with this, but I had to finally tell our leaders, look, if we're going to lead, we got to lead the way. Okay? I would tell you ministry leaders that probably in your church, um, you could begin a ministry disciple-making model probably with your leaders. You could start from the top down. We just did a grassroots. I didn't expect the leaders to lead because I had never led. I've already gone over that. But in your ministry model, you could actually say, okay, we're not going to do grassroots. Leaders, I know we're not doing this, but I want you to do this with me. And God could use that. I'm just saying, have your model. (laughs) But just do something. Okay? But then your leaders need to be doing the testifying. Are you with me? They need to do the opposite of what we've already talked about from the grassroots from the top down. But when I finally called our leaders together and I said, okay, some of you still aren't doing this. I love you. I get it. But now it's time to lead. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to connect you guys that aren't discipling each other with each other. Deacon with Deacon. Okay? And what I want you to do by that time you know, we got our first version of this. All I want you to do is tell me which one of these three services or two services probably back at that time that you're going to meet and So let's do it right now. Right? Who's disciple-making right now? Right? One-third yes, two-thirds no. The two-thirds, hey, Dave, I want you to start studying him. So-and-so wants you to start, just like that. Study, 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 study. And let's just go. Okay? Uh, I just felt that was the right thing to do in my conscience, because we're pretty much down the interstate (laughs) with this. And it was just time for leaders to get going. So... One of the reasons I did that is because I had preached a a message. We do a series on psalms in our church. I had preached a message on Psalm 133. Um, I think to me, other than Ephesians 4, 1-4, it's probably the most classic text on unity in all the Bible. How good and how pleasant it is for the brethren to dwell together in unity. Now, that's verse 1. Verse 3 says, There the Lord commands a blessing, even life forevermore. So what's the meat in the sandwich? Okay, this is powerful for me. He gives two metaphors. What's what's the purpose of the metaphor? He said it's like the oil on Aaron's head. Right? So automatically he goes to the anointing of a high priest. The public setting apart of a high priest for a lifetime service as a Levitical priest, right? They're anointing the top of the head, the oil runs down to the beard, saturates his garment, and the text even says so much so that it comes to the end of the garment and drips off the hem of the garment. So if you want a picture of what it was like to literally anoint a priest to high priest work, that's what it was. This wasn't a little goblet with oil with a couple drips. This was a five-gallon bucket. Seriously. They would put it, why? Because it was a picture of complete saturation, which was complete dedication. It was this guy's life to the life of Judaistic ceremonial worship for the rest of his life. Okay? So, the next metaphor was the dew on Mount Hermon. If you understand the geography, the snows on the top of Mount Hermon, as they melt, they keep the whole side of Hermon and the landscape below Hermon green year-round. Second metaphor. Both start with the top that influences all the way down. So remember, how good and how beautiful. There the Lord commands an eternal blessing. And how does he do it? He does it from the top down. If you're good from the top down in your church, you're good. (laughs) Especially if the top down are disciple makers. So like Will said earlier, you come and you talk to Dave Hickson. What do you do here? Well, I disciple John and I'm discipling Joe Caserta and I'm discipling Sean Anthony. Mm-hmm.
1: Then you're trying to find really hard. Surely he fits in this organization somehow,
0: Right. I yeah. no, this is what I Dave Hickson is a thirty year yeah. Deacon Elder yeah. Treasurer. And years ago, if you'd have come in, up until a few years ago, if you'd have come in, he says, I'm the treasurer. And I sing in the choir. I've been coming here for 25 years. Oh, you must be a seasoned, mature vet. And at that point, by our definition of seasoned, mature vet, he was. But now, he would be radically immature, actually. As a matter of fact, you can't even get nominated as a deacon in our church unless you're a disciple maker. You don't come just because you come four services a week and you serve faithfully. Well, you must be deacon material. No, you're not. Not anymore. Okay? And I think that's a beautiful thing. You're not going to be able to demand that right away, but this is why I start with Psalm 133. Okay? It's beautiful and it's good. (laughs) It's sacred. (laughs) It's sacred. Don't you think it's interesting? I don't know. I could go on and on about Psalm 133. I love that psalm, right? Is the anointing of a priest sacred? When God said, let there be Mount Hermon, was that sacred? Right? What does Psalm 19 say about creation? He uses two sacred metaphors to tell us something. Unity sacred. Is the Godhead unifying? If the Godhead is saying... I'm going to command a blessing there, even life forevermore. Unity loves to support unity. Okay? So, anyways, so we put the leaders together, and then we put the leaders together with a new attendee. Uh, and under the everyone win one goal, uh, a leader wins a soul, he disciples that soul. Typical stuff. We got them together first, and then we got them together with new, and then now they're winning their own. Harry Dodd says, I've never been a disciple maker, Pastor Tim. I've witnessed to people all the time, but I've never been a disciple maker. So what do I do, right? So I told him, I told him Marshall Fance story. Remember yesterday, YMCA sees the newspaper, retired cop, lives in Rock Hill from Columbus, Ohio. Remember the story? So I said, Harry, I said, get a membership at the YMCA. I know you exercise all the time instead of exercising by yourself, why don't you just go exercise where other people exercise? He goes, okay. Goes, first first day, true story. First day, he's on the elliptical, right? Here, he's 71 years old. He's on the elliptical. Lord, give me somebody. Help me build a redemptive relationship. 24-year-old David Colwell gets on the elliptical next to him, right? Start a conversation over something they're watching on the TV. Harry goes, wow, maybe this is the guy. <laughs> They're done exercising. They get off. They have a you know, little bit small chit-chat. And he goes, uh, um, when do you exercise? I'll see you the next day. A few, few more times. They come. They exercise together. You know, where are you from? Small talk. Where are you from? What would you do? Berkshire High School. I played football there. Oh, my pastor's dad is in the Berkshire Sports Hall of Fame. Who's your pastor's dad? His name was Bob Potter. He played basketball and ran track there and he went to Kent State University. He goes, you got to be kidding me, right? I got to meet your pastor. I'm a Berkshire grad. Not many people know about the Berkshire Badgers. I mean, it's a small D5 <laughs> school out in the middle of, you know, County, right? This is, this is the Amish country, you know? And uh, so he said, great. He said, listen, um, I'd like to do a Bible study with you. Would you like to do that? He goes, yeah, I, yeah, it's, I'm fine with that. You know, I want to, I'll do a Bible study and come meet your pastor and so forth. So, so they keep exercising together and um, David comes to church on a sunny morning. Now understand, I don't know anything that I've just told you until I meet this kid, Right? He comes in, and I say, hey, how's it going? Welcome. Has anyone offered you a gift bag yet or a Bible study yet? No. But there's a guy here that's already done that with me at the YMCA. And I'm here. I want to study with him. I said, what's his name? He said, Harry (laughs) Dodd. I was like, you got to be kidding me. I know right where he's at. Let's go get him, and you guys can start studying this morning. So I walked into the auditorium. Harry's talking to Kevin Malone our head usher, and I said, Harry, you know this guy? He goes, David. He goes, yeah, I'm here to study the Bible. Amen. You know, you didn't tell me you were coming today. He goes, well, you offered. <laughs> so, so, so I said, Harry, let's go. And he goes, okay. And they walked out. Every Sunday morning in Sunday school, he's been studying with David Colwell. 71, 24. The Spirit of God just kind of blows away the cultural separations of age. I'm telling you, it's a Spirit of God thing. And for years, what we've tried to do in making things work in age-appropriate environments, and we've spent hours in anguish and dollars, all of a sudden, wow, it's just like God does this, actually, in a disciple-making environment. So anyways, that's another free story. Now our leaders, so this is how it works for us. Who starts to what's the good news about the good news testimonies? Yours truly. Now what do I get to do? Now that I have all my leaders on board, what do I get to do next? Years ago, I couldn't point to any of them to tell us a disciple-making story. So I had to go to the 30 and then the 60 and so forth, right? Now what I can do, like a hot knife through butter, I can start and I can say, Dave, Bob, Dan... All right, 37 deacons now. Okay, 37 deacons. I can point to any of them. Drop of a bucket. Pastor, I was studying the Bible. with. can't believe the truth we got last week. Pastor, I'm walking in this walking club, and I've started a redemptive relationship. And now what are people hearing that are below leadership? Okay. For us, it was worth doing the grassroots first. Connecting them later, but now they're doing it because we're doing it. Ultimately, everyone started to do it because I had to repent of my sin and start doing it. All right? Now we're expectant to have all of our ministry leaders. Now we can. So when I talk about the head of the sound booth, or the head usher, or the head Sunday school director, or the head nursery worker, or the head someone who's heading up a department. I can go from me to a deacon, and I can say, Hey, Nick, give us your disciple-making testimony. He's the head of the sound booth. I can say, Kevin, he's head of our ushers. Give me your disciple-making testimony. Right? I can say, Cindy, head of the nursery. Give me your disciple-making. What's the good news about the good news, Cindy? Are you with me? Youth leaders. Matt and Abby, what's the good news about the good news? Matt and Kate, what's the good news about the good news? Chris and Allegra, what's the good news about the good news? And everyone knows what I'm doing now. Me, deacon, ministry leaders. Now, everybody else, what's the good news about the good news? How long did it take? (laughs) About 17 years. In time. Okay? This caused us to restructure our leadership meetings. We used to have board meetings every Thursday night from seven o'clock to o' oh, dark thirty for decades, and they were basically FYI meetings, right? Talking shop meetings, budget stuff, building stuff, infrastructure stuff—never about disciple making. It's really interesting to me. Disciple making became such a thing, such a thing, that we had no more need for deacons' meetings or what we would call board meetings. What are board meetings anyway? Yeah. <laughs> Certainly can't find it from old Genesis to Revelation. So I don't think Jesus had board meetings with the disciples. But anyways, do what you want. We don't have to do them anymore, but it's primarily because of this reason. Let me just summarize by saying this. We don't have to do them because it's amazing. And again, unexpected God-intended blessing. When, when people start disciple-making, they realize that certain things just have to get done so that the attention doesn't get distracted from the disciple-making. Disciple-making people just get things done. They just do. So we don't have to talk about it anymore. Yes? Yep. Yep. When we put the full court press on the final few and they got involved, the spirit of God blew even more wind. And now our, now the deacons, they always had jobs. Now we just don't have to get together to meet about the jobs. The way our meetings look now, Pastor Kent meets with the deacons once a month, right? And all of them have a little thing that they're emailed. If they don't do email because they're older, they have a little form. They come in, they write down what their ministry, how their ministry went that month. And what they got done, they email it, right? Uh, They email it, they come and put it on the lectern if they're older, and Pastor Kent gets up and he starts that meeting, and what does he start with? What question? What's the good news about the good news? And then they pray. They'll read through a little book. They'll have a couple testimonies of the book. Have a good night, guys. And we do it during a regularly scheduled service when they're already there? What if they disciple during that service? They just tell their discipler, I'll see you next week. It's not a big deal. Some of them, like Jeff Ashdown, he'll meet from five to six with his discipler on that particular Sunday where he would normally meet with six to seven 15 during the evening service. So some of them are meeting before and after. Some wait and just take a week off. But yeah, it's flexible. But why do I want to meet with them during a regularly scheduled service? Where do I want them during the course of the week? I want them with their families and in the communities. Why would I want them on our church property another night of the week? They're already there four times a week. They're already giving us seven hours of their time a week. Why would I want them there more? Great Commission says go, not come. All right, let's equip them. We can do that. Um, Still do the work of the ministry. Yes. The, the kids kids yeah. so so we, we we take our people through we've done we've done lots of teaching on deuteronomy 6 mm-hmm. and the parents teaching the parents how to disciple in their homes we've given them resources but like i said earlier we're now doing the foundations for kids for parents to go through uh, in, in, in scripture the primary disciple makers for kids are their parents and then when you move over into our children's ministry okay we do everything in tandem with the parents So, in other words, we don't do anything without the parents' permission. Parents may not be involved. We always tell the parents first, this is where we're headed, this is what we're doing, and so this is what we're doing for Sunday school, this is what we're doing for Wednesday nights, this is what we're doing for Little Lights on Sunday nights. Is everyone okay with that? We just want to let you know, because when your kids get in the car, we want you to know what to talk to them about, because you're their primary disciplers. When they get into junior high and high school, okay, there's two kinds of kids. Kids whose parents come to our church and kids whose don't. If the parents don't come to our church, we get on the phone with the parent, probably unsaved, and say, can we have your permission to study the Bible with your child? We had a pastor in our area that just lost a $3 million lawsuit because one of his youth leaders won a kid to Christ, and they began discipling her, and they baptized her, and their parents didn't even know any of this had happened until they watched her baptism on live stream. Okay? Lost a $3 million lawsuit, all right? So pick up the phone, by the way, because a great opportunity, a great opportunity to to involve yourself with the parents. We'd like to disciple your children, are you okay with that? So if their kids don't come, their parents don't come, we call the parent, and then we have three youth leader couples now, we didn't always have that, three youth couples now, and we'll say, hey look, Kate and Matt, would you disciple this girl? Right, Matt and Abby, would you disciple this guy? Right, and then for the rest of the kids, our youth pastor goes through the foundations. All of our kids are going to go through the foundations one time between 7th and 12th grade. Right. So when 7th grade class comes in, sometime between over the next five years, they're going to go through foundations. And Pastor Steve just does that because when they move up and on, they're going to be expected to disciple somebody once they get to college and career and so forth. The kids who do come to our youth group, whose parents do come to our church, right? They're also put underneath one of those four youth leader couples. And so if Matt and Kate are discipling this girl, like they call my daughter over, Emma, come over and sit with us as we disciple this girl. So Emma's watching and learning that. And I know Emma's going to go through foundation some year between 7th and 12th grade in her youth group. Okay? Okay. Um, I don't know if any of that answered your questions overall. I guess I was more curious when you're talking about when uh, people come Wednesday night or yep. Sunday evening, and then they're there for discipleship. Mm-hmm. I'm assuming, You know, some of these people have children. Do they just drop them off somewhere, or like you know? Yeah, we have we have this we have what we call disciple kids, yeah. and we have little lights, and we have youth app. They're all they're all centered around the disciple making lifestyle, so. Infants are infants. We have child care. Um, we start together in singing. All of us are in the auditorium. We sing, and then we dismiss the Life app, which is middle school and high school. And uh, they don't have to go. It's just a thing. We'll dismiss disciples to go out in the lobby and disciple. Uh, we dismiss Little Lights, right? And we dismiss disciple kids, and, and they go. And... It's a thing, but if the parents want to keep them in the auditorium, they're their kids. I don't care what they do, you yeah. know. Yeah. Did that help? Okay. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 there. It's been developing more and more as you go along. We're nowhere near where we need to be, but. Um, but again, people that run the Life app, Little Lights, and so forth—that's not their pledge of allegiance. The blessing for me sending kids to those different places is not that they have places to go. It's because the people are going to be leading those. That's not their primary purpose for being at Grace Church. Because you can get youth people coming, all oh, fired up about youth. I want to lead youth. I want to be a youth pastor. Oh, do, do, do. Okay, fine. But are you a disciple maker yourself? <laughs> you no. Know? It changes the whole nature of your church. Yes? Yeah, that kind of helps me to ask another question.
1: So, so, so you're having these children that do come with their parents because you're really with their children and they're like, okay, well, i got my kids and, you know, you gotta have this nursery provided, you know, let's say on that Sunday night or Wednesday night. So then you got some of your faithful people that just say, hey, look, uh, we need you here to be, you know, part of a, you know, teaching their kids while we're teaching the, the parents, right? So you're encouraging people to step up for that as well. And uh, I guess, and that's kind of just something, can you talk about? How, how
0: you encourage people to choose. Well, we, we had, even at a church 150, 180, we had a nursery. We had a children's church. You guys probably have some semblance of that here at Arise and at your church. So we already had that stuff. Um, so we had people. Uh, now the disciple-making culture has just changed the kind of people we have over there, and it's provided more people to serve. Because the people who are discipling in the nursery are, again, leading somebody. It's probably going to end up working in the nursery. But everyone's burden is now disciple making not working in the nursery and watching kids so people can disciple with other people because they themselves are the disciplers. so it's just kind of like all organic working team everyone trying to keep focused on what the primary thing should be so it's it's you know it's still ministry it still takes effort um but the effort now like my wife's the scheduler for the nursery she has 130 nursery workers that she manages and and but all those almost all those nursery workers are disciple makers which makes the managing harder because if she needs someone for sunny school well, I'm discipling in sunny school okay all right it's, this is like if they're new coming in where are my holes I got to fill blah 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 um, um, if she people call in sick I'm on vacation right so most of it is, is, is just filling holes of people who are already disciple-making. It's not trying to get people to be working the nursery. You know what I mean? Um, Yeah, well...
1: Right. So for us, with the first initial people, we had to do it outside of the normal service time, just because we didn't have anybody to watch those kids, so that we could do it during the service. Yep. So that may be your situation right now. So that's where I would say maybe start there, meet meet on a Thursday or Saturday, which may not be how you want to continue it on forever, but it may be how you need to do it. Yep.
0: You're, you're talking. You're, you're talking about more logistical stuff as you build the culture. Yeah, I know where we we had to do the same thing. I mean, we remember we we started in 1948, and we were blipping all over the place. 17 people hired my dad in '72. We started in '48, right? We're only a buck 50 to a buck 80 by the time we get to 1990, right? That's when I come and we realize how broken all of us are, right? So we're not you know, we don't even have a piano player at that point, you know, we don't have certain women in a service at all because they're all for services in the nursery. (laughs) So, it was almost like a church revitalization or replant at that point. And and we did what we could in event-based things. Like we talked about the history yesterday grow, try to get try to go try to be attractive get people to come but we always came like the history yesterday to plateau and decline so we're we're not not struggling with help in the nursery and children's church and youth group until we become a disciple making church No. No. That's why we had to open up two more services. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? That's why we had to, one of the reasons why we had to open up two more services. It was volume plus ministry conflict. So we never wanted to pull someone out of the nursery when they were already scheduled there so they could disciple someone, even though discipleship was a bigger priority. So I can't make one ministry expendable because we get to do another priority right so you remember as a pastor you're protecting <laughs> so what do i have to do i got to open up sunday nights i got to open up wednesday nights whatever your model is in your church you just have to provide a way to equip them to do disciple making without making other ministry expendable does that make sense yeah and that's okay we're not used to that kind of flexibility because there's people that have been staunch members of local Bible-believing churches for a long time, and they get a little used to their ways. But it's it's slow, it's in time. But when they know it's towards disciple-making purposes and not towards pragmatism or just launching another program to get the church to grow, it's a different it's a different animal. Yep. So we began praying every Monday morning. Um, this is part of our leadership coming together and. Every Monday morning I meet with them and we start with what's the good news about the good news. We even do it among our pastors meetings. That's always the top thing we talk about. Because if, again, we're not doing it, the people aren't doing it. Okay? We now have discipleship leadership meetings instead of board meetings. Monthly discipleship meetings I have with the elders and deacon leaders. Um, I meet with them the first Wednesday night of every month after After prayer meeting, why? Because we want to provide a time to meet when they're already there. It's 7.15 to 7.45, it's 30 minutes, and how does that meeting begin? What's What's the good news about the good news? I've got to know that my elders, and who starts those testimonies in those meetings? Right? We'll go around, we'll share, we'll pray, right? Hey, this is how the building fund is, this is how the building project's coming along have a good night have a good night it's not rocket science okay uh we have one upcoming this sunday the um, uh, when we have sunday night of labor day should be our first one so we'll have it the second sunday night because we don't have church on labor day sunday night Um, on holiday sunday nights and fifth sunday nights we have now what we call um, disciple making nights we tell the people don't come to church if you want to come here and disciple, because you can disciple on a Sunday night, do it. But we're not having formal church tonight because we want you out with your family in the community reaching people. So Easter, Christmas, Labor Day, Memorial Day, and every time there's a fifth Sunday in a month, people can come to the church and disciple. But outside that, go have your unsafe friends over for a steak and a, or a burger. right? Just go walk with your unsafe friends in the park. Go with your discipler and do something. Okay? So we'll have this meeting the second Sunday night of the month and, and, and we'll we'll talk about what's the good news about the good news. We'll let them know where we're at with the potential sale of our property so that we can break ground for our new building. It's just FYI stuff but it's like five to seven minutes at the end. And we'll say, you know, Lisa was discipling Lauren. Lauren was coming along really well. Uh, Lauren fell off the face of the map like, I can't believe. Lisa's been pursuing her. And then we found out that Another gal, Gabby's being discipled by um, um, Sarah this hour. And all of a sudden, we find out that Gab, uh, Lauren had a relationship, a friendship with Gabby, and Lauren allowed her heart to get bitter, and she influenced Gabby. And now um, Sarah's going after Gabby, Lisa's going after Lauren. I'm just getting reported to. I think they're doing a great job. I don't have to jump in. Right? But we know, because we're talking about what's the good news about the good news, right? Um, Lauren, supposed to be a seasoned veteran missionary kid, um, ends up being probably an unbelieving, very rebellious wolf in sheep's clothing, right? Um, Gabby's the new believer, genuine, on fire, wins her sister to Christ, wins her niece to Christ. I baptize her in April, um, she's going blind because of MS and she's 26 years old, vibrant. And what does second Peter chapter one say? There were false prophets and there will be false teachers who will come in and through their pernicious ways lead many astray. Acts 20 said it, first John two said it, you can't stop it. It's going to come even though you have a disciple making environment, but now who's pursuing the people who are straying? And they're going to do a lot better job. Okay? So we're right in the midst of this. So I'm saying the first, the second Sunday night of September, we'll have to talk about where we're at with that. Because with Lauren, we're probably now into the second stage of Matthew 18. And if she doesn't respond, it'll be probably disciplined sometime in October, which is painful. But the purpose for discipline is what? Restoration, right? All right? But who's taking that all the way down? They're not going to take me to be the second or the third witness, right? The disciple-makers, I'm just saying, that what the pastors used to have to do, disciple-makers are doing now, okay? And we're just kind of overseeing it. But that's what we talk about, maybe, but most of the time we're not. We're just, what's the good news about the good news? General shop talk, and then they go home, 30 minutes, okay? As a matter of fact, just so you know, there was... Two out of the three summer months, we weren't even able to have the disciple-making meeting with the lead elders and deacons because people were disciple-making or out of town on vacation. Just so so, so you know, this is not like, boy, if we miss it. You miss one meeting, you miss the world, you know. It's just what we do to shepherd each other, primarily, because these guys are just getting things done. All right, we already talked about this. I have a questionnaire that I go through in person, just as an extra level to make sure disciple making is happening and how I can help the guys that I disciple. So I disciple the, the leaders, okay, and their wives. So that's why I meet with them, all right? Um, we now have moved our leadership meetings to include the women once every eight week, eight weeks. I have what we call Leadership Sundays. And again, we do it during a regularly scheduled service. But now all the elders and deacons' wives come in with their spouses. And what do we start? How do we start that meeting? I'm telling you, I'm I'm not trying to be overly redundant. But that's the clothesline. That's the clothesline. We don't have a church unless we have that clothesline. We just don't have a church. And everyone will be reminded of that every single time I lead anything. That's why and it keeps me accountable. Because I mean if you get down to the pure humanity of it, I know I'm going into these meetings or these services and I better have a testimony ready. And it better be real. <laughs> right? You can't you, you, you can't fudge your way through that. Spirit of God's not going to be very happy. <laughs> yeah. 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 So anyways, I take them out for coffee or for lunch and um, I'm through a little over 30 of the leaders this point in the year. I'll finish all of them up. So it takes a whole year to get through all of them, but I'll spend face-to-face time with all of them going through some evangelism and discipleship and service, discipleship which is what we do, okay? We went through this. You all have it. If you have it in front of you, you can pull it out again uh, and just open it up. Uh, We just provide some mile markers for the spiritual journey for our people. We went over it thoroughly yesterday. I won't add too much today. Okay? A first impression, remember I said we invite him to dinner or coffee, and at that point, would you like to have a Bible study? Let's begin. Two and a half years average for the foundation study. Let's meet the family. Welcome to our family. Uh, This is part of the Grace Discipleship materials. It's six hours. We do three weeks at two hours. We have one coming up here in the fall. Um, We've written the material. We teach it to our people. It's disciple-making material and kind of like Ecclesiology 101. Um, This is who we are. This is where we're headed. Okay? At that point, if they decide to become a member, and now remember at our church, if they're done with foundations, they can. Before they leave that final class, we know where they're going to be serving beginning the next week. So in other words, their disciplers connected with them. They're connected with us. They know the environment. They're comfortable. Where do, you, where do you feel like you would like to serve the Lord here at Grace? Your number one thing is disciple making. Oh, I like children, I like youth, I like landscaping, I like painting, I like behind the scenes stuff. So we connect them with a ministry that they're gonna be headed to the week after they're voted on. All right? why disciple making people love to serve and over 97 percent of our ministry now our membership is serving the lord faithfully in at least one area i never ask him to win more than one person or shepherd more than one person i never ask him to serve in more than one area why because it takes a long time to shepherd a baby a lot of time and everyone only has so much heart soul mind and strength when we're out we're out some have more capacity than others but everyone at least one ministry and one soul, okay? Yes. They've already learned it and seen it from their own discipler. Um, that's the formal documentation, if you will, of what it is. It's kind of a reinforcement of what already is organically happening in that first arrow. All right? it's, a, it's a re-solidification that once you're in ministry, this is really what we're all about. But we want to pray first. We want to get you in consistent, regular study of the Bible. right? And then we're going to rehearse and visually see several volumes about what disciple making really is and then we're going to teach you hermeneutics 101 which is the simply blessed study okay so again we're going to teach them to pray we're going to provide scripture reading plans for them that the disciple can do with them um, we're going to talk about disciple making and uh, making uh these, these, these volumes, there's more than these. Like I said, each text listed here could save you time, but there's more than these. This is just where we start. And remember, we're not in a hurry. This isn't an institution or a class, right? So the first arrow is not disciple making 101, and the second arrow, disciple making 102, and the third area, disciple making 103. And, and you know, the fourth arrow is not the PhD, THM. It's just progress. And remember what I said yesterday, Right? Remember our story with Ronnie? If he falls or I fall, we can stop the walk and we can jump clear over to disciple-making arrow three and talk about moral purity for a while. Right? And then jump back. If Will's discipler doesn't feel that he's getting the disciple-making thing like he should naturally as they're going through the walk, then he's welcome to jump over to Floyd Schneider's book, Evangelism for the Faint Hearted. He might have a slow-growing witnesser and it's okay let's just stop the walk let's jump over to this book and it's the best book i've ever read in helping even the non the most non-type a person begin a redemptive relationship with someone in town okay and then you can jump back to the walk so there's it's an organic it's an organic overall but growing okay someone's hand was up back here yes Yeah. The, the, the disciple or disciplee, yep. The
1: person who's coming along, you don't really allow them to serve until they become a member, is that right? Or are there smaller jobs you allow anyone to do? Or yep. how do
0: you guys break that? They're allowed to serve before they're a member, but once they're a member, they're at least gonna serve at one area. Mm-hmm. So some don't before they become a member. They're allowed to serve in just about any area in our church except for leadership over people. Right? Anywhere where they're going to be over or around, under or over people, excuse me, around or over people. Teaching, you know, worship leadership, um, helping in our Grace Bible Day Camp, helping in, uh, in uh, oversee the youth. No. Um, I think there's spiritual reasons for that, but we also have legal things now too. Um, so, Um, they can help cook a prayer breakfast with their discipler. They can come, we have two church work parties a year to clean the building inside and out, fall and spring. They can come with their discipler to that. They don't have to come with their discipler to that. Uh, They can can load and unload buses from Grace Bible Day Camp, coolers. They can help set up the church picnic. They can help in a lot of different ways. And most of them do, quite frankly. Most of them do because they're disciplers serving and they're becoming like their discipler. So um, we provide lots of uh, non-leadership, non-overseeing of people roles that are just natural. And there's plenty to do, as you guys know. So um, they can't work in our nursery. They can't oversee children's ministry. They can't oversee youth. Yeah, but there's a lot of things they can do. Like we have some non-members who, who just do the shopping for donuts for Sunday school classes in the mornings, and they come and they get the Keurig egg pot set up with coffee. You know, they can do that. You know, all all kinds of stuff to do. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So, uh, when they do become members, is there how, how do you guys commemorate that, or is there a special thing that you do? Um, yeah, when they're done, they they contact us when they're done with the content of the foundations, and uh, they meet with two leaders, three leaders, and we ask them three questions. You know, do you still agree with the doctrinal statement of our church? You know, um, are you right with the membership? As far as you know, there's no bitterness or relationship issues that you have, no. Um, Where are you serving? Or where would you like to serve? And um, that's it, three questions. Lasts about five minutes. And then we bring them to the congregation for a vote. So we'll put a picture, their picture on a screen, their name, we'll tell the whole congregation this is their discipler. Because they're even, in a membership vote, we're letting people know what we're here for. Is there, you know, this is their discipler, and this is where they're gonna be serving, you know? So let's vote. Okay, yes sir. Did you have your hand up? Okay. I'm seeing things. I need more hydration, Okay. Simply Blessed is a, really a hermeneutics 101 study that a lady in our church wrote. She's taken all 120 hours of Great Lakes Bible Institute, and she's a phenomenal student of the Word, and she wrote a hermeneutics book called Simply Blessed. It's a study over the book of Philippians. And so our people are going through this by the time they get there. Some people are studying it before they get there, but they're all learning together how to rightly divide the Word of Truth. And it's over the book of Philippians. But they can take the model and put it over any other book that they want to, too. But, it's again, it's challenging our people that are discipling people to have to learn to grow at least hermeneutically what it means to rightly divide the word of truth. And it's outside a classroom context. The material compels people by the way it's set up to do it well. And it's doable by... Um, I guess if someone's maybe not an IEP, person, an IEP person or severely learning disabled, they probably couldn't, but they don't have to do it. There's other stuff that we provide, right? But generally, people can do it. Yes, sir. Yes, please. Thank you. I was supposed to give you the high sign, brother, and I didn't do it. <laughs> All right. Again, the next area, and people can jump forward and backwards to these things, but remember, we don't want them to get stuck. If they jump out of the walk because they're having issues here, right? With stewardship, money can be a captivating thing. Financial ruin can be a captivating thing. We want to deal with it, but we don't want to ever forget we got to go back to the milk too, right? You got to, maybe you have to do both at the same time. It's just an organic map that's about milk to meat, new birth to last breath, and it's centered around the Word of God and a relationship, Okay. So we don't want to get stuck anywhere. We want to make sure we're growing, but these are resources that are available. Okay? Not all these authors on here, if we did not write it, we would align with perfectly. Okay? Um, I only say that. Thank you, brother. I only say that for the protection of the sheep. All right? If pastors don't qualify, what I say is qualification is protection. Right? Because there's a lot of good stuff out there, but if it's written by a person that doesn't stand necessarily the doctrinally where your cheap people are, your people will get distracted by that person if they really like that person. So just always qualify. All right? So I don't, I'm, not, I'm not the same stripe as Dave Harvey or Ted Tripp um, or Heath Lambert, but we put little qualification tabs inside the books. So when people start to study, these folks may not align directly with our doctrine and philosophy, but generally this is good stuff. Warning is good. Okay? So when we say whole life stewardship, that's time, talent, and resources. So we have put together, part of the Grace Discipleship Series, we have lessons that help people manage their time, help people manage their spiritual gift, and help people manage their resources. And now we have a group of disciple-makers who have put together a whole discipleship book that's called Bridges, where we can help people. And the reason it's called Bridges is because we can help college kids, young married people, look to the future of when they get to retirement and begin to build their life in a disciple-making way. Right? So this includes our people sitting down with our people, how to go over a will, how to do a power of attorney, how to do this, how to do that, how to do this. But our people are taking each other through it. Our people wrote it, right? We have one tax guy in our church, Mike Filippo, our treasurer, Dave Hickson, and Harry Dodd. They met together for a year and a half, put this together, right? Walked us through, the, told me about the process. I approved each stage of it, and it's called Bridges. It's in print right now, and we're going to right now make it look more polished and much more like this but it's available for our people because as a pastor i felt that whole life stewardship was critical a lot a lot of people struggle with time management again these are four major categories that every believer struggles with so we're just trying to give our people trustworthy resources to work each other through okay when sinners say i do is probably the best premarital and postmarital book on marriage i've ever read beautiful shepherding a child's heart it's okay it's decent Um, but just a resource we have others Um, finally free he does a good job with that but there's others that we have everything else these are just springboard volumes let me tell you where we're going and this may not you may not care about this at all when we get into our new building if the lord ever supplies that what i would like to do is i'd like to call it and make it kind of like the disciple making church of tomorrow I borrowed that from Walt Disney, right? <laughs> Study his history, right? Everything he wanted, you know, especially Epcot Center, right? And, and, and Tomorrowland in the Magic Kingdom, right? I just thought, well, why, why can't a saved person be as creative as an unsaved person who is made in the image of God? So let's just make it the disciple-making church of tomorrow. So when people drive on and when they leave, they're always going to have lift up your eyes for the fields are white unto harvest on their mind visually and going deeper in the Word together. So we're going to have a whole fellowship hall that's going to have disciple-making vignettes, and in each vignette, we're going to have an iPad. Okay? There's going to be links on that iPad to this whole map. So people, if they're older, they want to go through paper form, they can. If they're younger, and they like to do everything computer-wise, they can pull up that iPad, pray together for their unsaved friends, study together, grow each other, and go home and continue to disciple in those natural rhythms of life, okay? So what I'd like to do is have all these resources on there, because this is going to include also pamphlets, vlogs, podcasts, movies. It's going to include everything on each one of these topics that's quality. So they can sit down, someone's had a tough night, a tough week with their marriage, their husband got up and walked out, right? They can pray, they can weep together, and boy, here, you know, let's jump out of the walk. Let's jump over here and, and let's encourage each other tonight. Okay? Just equipping the saints. That's my job. Equip the saints to do what? Which is good resources to help good people please God. Okay? By the time you get to the final arrow, uh, these are people in the sunset years of their ministry People who are semi retired or fully retired, possibly. And at Grace Church, what we're finding out is um, we're in the buckle of the snow belt in northeast Ohio. And as far as I know, we only have one snowbird. We we used to have zero, but we have another lady that started to come last fall. And she's a snowbird, but now she's being discipled. It's hard for people who are discipling someone or being discipled to leave them for four to six months to get out of the snow. So our people generally don't want to be snowbirds anymore. Even the ones whose doctors have told them you need to go to Arizona or Florida for your health. They just can't imagine leaving. We used to have 53, 55 kids a year going off to Christian college campuses. And we never, we never stopped supporting. We never stopped telling them, we never told them to no go. But this last year, we had one. I never, the colleges are calling and saying, what's going on? Why aren't you sending students anymore? I was like, I don't know. I never told them not to go. (laughs) All I can tell you is they're being discipled and they're discipling someone here and it's unfathomable for them to leave for nine months, that relationship. They just don't want to go. Well, why don't you tell them to go? They need what we have. We need our product. And I'm thinking... I mean, who really does disciple-making better? Or who should be, should I say? Remember yesterday? The local church or the school. I'm all for education, Christian education. But then I'm able to challenge them, why don't you bring your education to us? My alma mater especially. I started telling them 25 years ago, you had better start catching this wage of distance digital learning, else you're going to close your door someday. And they wouldn't do it. They wouldn't do it. So when your old alma mater starts to call you and say, why aren't you sending kids? I say, I don't know if I, they want to come to you. Why don't you come to us? Figgy International was a Fortune 500 company. Five miles south of us, just on the corner of Route 306 and Route 90 in Kirtland Hills, Ohio. It goes bankrupt. Remember old Figgy International? is was a Fortune 500 company. They've got a little Ivy League campus. If you drive on their campus, it looks like a mini Ivy League school. And I told my alma mater, when it went on the chopping block and went up to public auction, a whole campus, $5 million. Pristine, pristine, red brick, dark red brick, gorgeous landscape. It had a gym and a pool. It had office buildings that looked like dorms, right? It had admin buildings. And I contacted the school and I said, listen, I've been trying to tell you guys, <laughs> I can't say that we're going to come to you, but you can come to us. This, no. Yeah. All I'm saying is, disciple-making people don't like to leave their church. I've had people turn down job offers that were more money, better opportunity for them, and say, no thanks, this, is, this soul is more important for me. I'm, I'm making my ends meet just with what I'm making. It's like... <laughs> You know, it's crazy, I'm telling you. Your people start to live like you live as a pastor teacher and as a ministry leader. So we train our people how to stay focused as they are disciple makers in ministry. Your one degree is a great thing to help your people who are sunset years of life really come down to a focus of ministry. Again, just faithfully serve as a specialist in one area as you're a disciple maker we have written some material that we've led our Titus 2 people through. Um, it's Titus, the class on Titus 2. How do disciple-making people live a Titus 2 life in the local church? We've called this our Aquila and Priscilla ministry training. Here's this, so, so, so get this. Here's a, here's a growing people, a group of, of people who are aging, right? But they're disciple-makers, So instead of being snowbirds or instead of just traveling the world with the resources they got from their employment, they want to stay and be disciple makers. But now they've got 40 to 60 discretionary hours a week because they're not working. So what do they do? They want to minister in the local church. Right now we have 45 people who are part or full-time retired that are giving their whole weeks or partial weeks to the local church. Who would have ever thought that would have happened? right? So what do we do? Well, they're all disciple makers already. I know they're doing that, but they've got even more time available now. So we're just, I said, let's give them a Bible name. It's a Bible group of people. And I'm just thinking, who, Lord? What, Lord? Who, who are they like in the scriptures? I just thought of Aquila and Priscilla. These were, these were, these were the divine assists that God gave gospel ministry. And that's what these people are. They're disciple-making divine assists. And I meet with them once a month. Okay? I meet with them once a month. And how do we begin our meetings? I'm telling you. If not, you'll have a church within a church. But if everything starts with what's the good news about the good news, everyone knows why they're there, even though they're in their different places. So even this group, what's the good news about the good news? And they got the sweetest testimonies on that every, every month. Okay? So I've already told you we've written the Titus 2 stuff. So our folks are pretty laser-focused. But I say they're only laser-focused not because we had a program or some type of paradigm that we work them into. They're focused because they're disciple-makers. This is the easy part. The hard part was getting them to be disciple-makers. This is the easy part. Okay. You mentioned
1: the whole life stewardship. Is that in publication right now or
0: is that available? Yep. Which (laughs) one? Publication or availability? Both. Yeah. One looks prettier than the other. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. It's all available. Yeah. We're, we're, We're all growing still. And what we're finding out is, is that it's, 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 we, have, we have people that, that, that are theologically, philosophically, and practically capable of writing this equipment or this, this, this curriculum. So, so we're in the process of doing a lot of writing. So it may not look pretty yet on its way to publication, but we like to make it available. Right? So the whole Bridges thing is all put together. It's approved. We're using it, but it's being polished. It will be in digital format as soon as it's in book format because we can take them and, and, mer- and wed the two. Yes, sir. Yep. It's solid. <laughs> it's solid. I mean, Harry Dodds uh, got his master's degree in the Six Sigma process, and he, he did $3 billion a year for Caterpillar in, in project management in Peoria, Illinois. Can you explain what that is one more time in a little more detail? What the... Uh. Yeah, are you being serious? Oh, I thought you were trying to give me a hairy question. <laughs> of what the bridges material is? Yeah, the whole life stewardship is. We have three different kinds of resources that help our disciples learn together. They don't need to hear it from me. We put give them material how to manage time how to manage their spiritual gift in the local church, and how to manage God's money. I don't ever like to say their resources often because it's God's, right? Uh, So it's three different things under one heading that I want our people to know well enough where they can share it with each other. Again, I'm equipping them to do the work of the ministry. Okay. Did that help? Praise God. Good. So this is what our people said. They came to us and they said, Pastor Tim, so we give God's money to Great Commission purposes, so why don't we let our budget be a Great Commission budget? I was like, okay. How do we do this? So back in 2006, a little bit before 06, we had developed a church mission statement, and this is our church mission statement. It really has three simple parts to it. We exist to glorify God by evangelizing the lost and equipping the saints with the goal of Christ-likeness. I just call that disciple-making a little bit more formal three-part statement. We're really intentional about being a doxologically driven church. All right? We do all things, whether we eat or drink, to the glory of God. Okay? Add the more we do that, we love, our people just love to honor what God honors. Okay? The Lord Jesus Christ had a doxological purpose in his ministry. Did you know that? John 17, Lord, I came to glorify you, now glorify me. Don't ever forget that, because we live in a very gospel-driven world. And sometimes we can be so gospel-driven, we're really no doxological good. Okay? So always let the character and the purpose of God govern who we are, and the decisions we make. Jesus did that. If Jesus didn't first seek to glorify his Father, his atonement would have been no good. Are you with me? Obedience is better than sacrifice and to hearken than the... So even the intermediate way that sin was temporarily atoned for is no good if you're not going to obey. It's doxological. The synchronon of Scripture, I really believe. And again, it's another seminar. The unifying theme of Scripture is doxological, not Christological. Christ lived, 1 Corinthians 11, under the submission of his Father to do his will. Therefore, the gospel's effective. Okay? So that's us. So doxological first, disciple-making second. So they said, Pastor, let's have a missional budget. So this is what we did. We had a five-year plan beginning in, in 2006 to transform our budget to look like our mission statement. And better, like I said, we're into the, the nitty-gritty now of the flesh and blood of this. We gave you the how to get started part. This is some philosophy of how to maintenance it. But remember, if it's biblical, doable, any size, church, any culture. So whether you have a budget of $5,000 a year, or whether you have a budget of $5 million a year, it doesn't matter. If it's biblical, it's doable. Have a mission statement. Have your budget look like your mission statement. So now what are you doing? Publicly you're saying, what's the good news about the good news everywhere? That's the clothesline. Your mission statement now is your clothesline. So we're verbally saying what we are all the time. Now even when people give sacrificially, they know they're giving to the mission statement. And they're able to Whenever you review your finances, be able to see that on paper. All right? We were way behind. When we started this in 2006, we were a $27,000 deficit. I'm not lying to you. I have no reason to. From 1948 to 2005, well, 2006 when we started it, every year we finished our budget in a deficit. Our whole existence. Right, we're just a primarily a middle-middle to lower-middle to upper lower class church. Okay. The people said, "Let's." I mean, as, as as I guess as simple as I can say, let's put our money where our mouth is. We're talking about let's the good news be the good news. What's the good news? Let's put our let's do it. So. We went through each line item in the budget, and we put a G1 next to it for, for put a G next to it for glory, right? And we put an E1 next to it for evangelism, and an E2 next to every line item for equipping. And if there was any line item that didn't fit glory, reach, or teach, we had to think about why that line item was there. <laughs> okay. Either it didn't need to exist by itself and, and legitimately fit into one of those three categories, or we really didn't need to have the ministry. So that was step number one. Okay, remember this is a five-year process to make our budget look like the mission statement. What we did, so glory is really people and places. Remember, any size church, any culture, people and places. Remember the yellow taper on the property? You still have to have places and people. Whether it be homes, you always have to have pastor-teachers, right? You can't have a church without a pastor-teacher. It's nowhere in the New Testament. It's not a church if you don't have a pastor-teacher. It's just not in the New Testament, okay? So how do you got to support that guy? Galatians 6, right? First Timothy 5, First Corinthians 9. It's all over the New Testament. Right? You got to support that guy. Right? Nothing else should be done until that pastor supported. Why? Because you're not, you got to reach Jerusalem. You got to have a guy to shepherd Jerusalem. Church planning and foreign missions is going to crumble if you don't have a home plate guy that's being cared for well who can shepherd well. Right in Jerusalem. So, glory. Do all things of the glory of God. For us, we need pastors to help us lead us, understand what that glory is, and live that glory. We got to have places. Evangelism, we took our evangelism dollars and we, we determined over five years to make our evangelism part of our budget look like Acts 1-8. I know that Acts 1-8 is a prophecy. But I do believe there's a purpose in that prophecy and I do think it's an outline-prioritized purpose. I understand there's three parts of that, pro- one command, three parts to it that were going to be done after the church started but I really believe Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and othermost parts of the earth are in divine order. I think the Spirit of God did that. He preserved it for us. You don't see that in the Great Commission Gospel accounts, but you see it there at the Ascension account. Why only there? I really believe there's an order for it. If you saturate Jerusalem first, then you will plant churches. And as you plant churches, you will interdependently connect, and you will naturally go to foreign missions. All right, we're going to see a statistic here in a little bit. Most churches of dollars are absolutely upside down in that model. 97% are going to foreign missions, zero to one and a half percent into church planting, and the minuscule left to Jerusalem. And we see how that model has been broken now as we're closing more churches than we are planting. Okay, all starts with disciple making out of the local church. So that's what we did. Equip is discipleship, material, educational material at all levels. Okay? And what we found out is disciple makers love to give to ministry, mission rather than mere budget purpose. Okay? If it's a disciple making driven, if it matches your mission statement. And it took us forever to get our people's minds wrapped around all of this is one organic disciple making whole all right so this was a budget last year this is our budget this year so let me walk through this people and places is always going to be the larger part by the way i'll go i'll get off of this i'll go back here can i tell you something remember $27,000 deficit when we started deficit from 48 to 06 One year later, one year into the five-year process, we went from a $27,000 deficit to a $32,000 surplus. We had never been in a surplus in our church's history. What's 27 and 32? Just shy of a $60,000 turnaround in one year. We have not finished a year in a deficit and I'm not telling you this has anything to do with dollars and cents. Why are we not finishing in a deficit anymore? What's the furnace? What's the furnace? Disciple making. These things just naturally take care of themselves. I think Jesus said it in Matthew 6.33. Seek ye protos, not chronos. It's kind of like Revelation 2.1-4. You forgot the first things. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. So many churches fret over where the next budget balance is going to come from and Jesus isn't even fretting over how he colors the lily of the valley or feeds a sparrow. You won't be writhing your hands anymore wondering where's the money coming from. You're not going to get rich. We're not. But your deeds will be taken care of and there will always be supply to do the Great Commission. Amen. Whatever that looks like, I don't know for you, but you'll, it'll get done. No one's getting rich in our neck of the woods. Okay? So anyways, when we started this process in 2006, we had a $280,000 budget. Okay? In 06. And I tell you that Because it took us five years to get to the point where glory outmatched evangelism and evangelism outmatched equipping. It took us five years to get there. But ever since 2006, and certainly since 2011, when we've matched this and repeated it, we've gone from (laughs) to 1.1 million, and and this year 1.3 million. It's not about getting rich, because now where are all those dollars going to. Glory, reach, teach. So now when we present our budget to our people on a quarterly or annual basis, either digitally or in person, all right, what do we show them? Just want to let you know we're being conscientious with the disciple-making dollars that you're giving. And we'll all even start a church budget meeting with what? I'm not kidding you. Come. I have nothing to hide everything starts with what's the good news about the good news everything 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 and it never gets nauseous to your people everyone's got to be reminded why we're doing what we're doing why are we here anyway who are we What are we here for? Where are we going? And why are we doing it all anyway? Everyone's always got to be reminded, this, 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 this. Else they'll get distracted by other noble commissions. There's a lot of noble purposes that we live out there. Noble commissions, but they may not be directly tied to the Great Commission. Okay? So we just got to be careful with the balance. Again, 17 years. (laughs) Um, And the whole disciple-making journey since 06 to now, with making our budget look like our mission statement. Can I share this with you too? We've had a 4 to 5%, Dave Hickson told me, um, 4 to 5% increase in our budget ever since 06. Right. In addition to that, we've had a, what we call an Acts 1-8 Christmas offering. An Acts 1-8 Christmas offering is, um, I think, philosophically and practical, a way to let people know the priority of the order of what Jesus said in Acts 1-8. So our first Christmas offering was 2006, the year we launched out. So, we had a, so it was $6,000. 50% of that was going to go to Jerusalem, 30% to church planning, and 20% to foreign missions. Immediately that's heartburn for some old schoolers. Why? Because foreign missions was go, 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 go for years, and all of a sudden what's foreign missions? Chicken feed? You're only giving 20% of 6000 to foreign missions? What's wrong with you? No, 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 no. <laughs> you have to understand, right? It's going to get better, but it's not going to get better until we get back to a disciple-making Jerusalem philosophy. We're way behind in Jerusalem. Right? 6000 to start with. The last three years, it's been $50,000 each year, and we've been growing at a 4, four to 5% increase every year. All right? And we're starting every budget meeting with what? goes to a Jerusalem effort. 30% goes to church planting efforts all over the country. 20% went to 12 different missionaries. So now, at Grace, we're giving more money to missions now than we ever have in our church's history. And the word's getting out to foreign missionaries because they're calling us like you wouldn't believe But there's more money going, evangelistic money going into Jerusalem than there is church planting, and more going into church planting than there is foreign missions. And again, the Spirit of God blows wind into that. Continue to do what you're going to do, but it's a broken model if it's not something that supports or looks like Acts 1 8 in the process of it. Okay, yes, sir. We spent $12,000 one year on a tent so we could have children's evangelism on our property in hot weather. Okay? Um, We put $2,000 one year uh, towards building a relationship with a gal in our neighborhood named Lauren who owns a chocolate store called Culinaire Provence. She does catering and and, and chocolates. And we put $2,000, because I'm... My my wife and I are building a relationship with her. She's staunchly Roman Catholic, but we're trying to win her to Christ. So um, that's one of the places we can go and build a redemptive relationship. We're spending some money to buy some time with Lauren. And we're giving her company $2,000, and she makes for us 30 chocolate baskets. They're actually baskets made of chocolate, and they're full of confections. And we do this at Christmas time, right? And we give those baskets to our people, who have been burdened for their local librarian, their local coffee shop person, the gal they always see at Giant Eagle, the grocery store, every, every fire department, every school board office, every police department in our whole neighborhood gets taken by one of our people, a chocolate basket with a gospel tract, and they, we're just a thing now. Amen. Every year. Every year. So we spend the money to buy the evangelistic time that way, okay? Um, My goodness, Will, there's like, if you sat down with your people for 20 minutes and you just thought, how could we spend some money to buy some evangelistic real estate in your town, your people will tell you, right? Before you got to go spend your money to do it, no, we're going to raise it together as a church and we'll go spend it together as a church. There are literally thousands of practical ways that we can do Luke 16. And Jesus said it. Jesus wasn't praising the character of the unjust steward in Luke 16. What was he doing? He was praising his creativity. And he said if God's people would be as creative as the unjust steward by using unrighteous manmen to make friends for eternity, good for them. So that's where I get my buy money to spend time. (laughs) Bible studies, buy money, right? We spend some of that will every year. Our local high school football team, my son played for, Mentor High School, you can pay $500, right? And you own the night at the football stadium. They let you set up a huge banner at the front gate. People are coming in, getting their tickets chopped or whatever. You can hand out information, Okay? Five hundred dollars, we got little cardinal towel waving things, right? Has a cardinal on it, but has Grace Church's logo on the bottom of it. Five hundred bucks, we get to own a whole Friday night. Right? People are all waving in the stands. Men are cardinals, Grace Church. Of so buying money to spend time with people, so many different ways, yes. And that also goes back to fact, you know, what you taking people out for your life. All of it. All of it. Part of our Christmas offering every year goes to feed our budget line item of spending money to buy time with people. What's fascinating now is we've been able to take $50,000 out of our annual budget every year because we know it's going to be in the Christmas offering. So we could lop it out, put it there, and still spend $50,000 on something else. Are you with me? It's just how it worked out. We didn't set out with that, my friend. I'm not that smart. It just kind of happened. This is something that God did organically. Then our people say this, right? Pastor, we really are burdened. Disciple-making people become great visionaries, okay? Pastor, we're really burdened here to reach our community. We're all disciple-making now. How are we going to reach Jerusalem? So they came and they presented to me a Lake County for Christ thing. I said, okay, let's see it. We know, Pastor, the most important thing for us to do is what's on our pamphlet. We know that. But hey, how about if we reach everyone, every home in our city every five years with the gospel and layers? How about if we do door to door to all 19,200 homes every five years? How about if we send a mailing to all 94,200 homes in our county every five years? How about, Pastor, that we're at the Great Lakes Mall, we're at the Menor City Fest, we're at the Lake County Fair, we're at the Jauga County Fair, right? How about if we have a presence in every public venue in our county to distribute the gospel? And pastor, hey, guess what? We found a way that for $1,000 a month, we can have up to 350 showings of six different television commercials promoting our church in a three-county area. And by the way, that's a wrong number. That should be 650. For $1,000 a month, we can show 650 commercials on five different television stations. For as little as 80 cents for a 30-second spot and up. You could do it too. But hang on with me here. When we go to plant churches with me, I know we're almost done, but hang with me here. When we go to plant churches, this is where we start. And all we are is mass marketers. We're not disciple makers. And this is rarely what we ever become. Even the pastors. And that's on me. I've helped start churches. And they were broken before they had their grand opening service. I I, I could have preached their funeral before their grand opening service. And that's on me. That's my fault. That's not the church planner's fault. They were just doing what they were told. But now, what happens if we don't do the rest? Does Jesus still build his church? Yep. Only one said yes. yes. Now two, is that a yes or just a laugh? Yes. No, I'm, I'm telling you, I'm not trying to be sarcastic. Without this, does Jesus build his church? Guess what we can't do, if it's biblical, doable in any culture? Guess what we can't do in a lot of cultures? That. Every culture can do this. Okay? This is what it is. So this is what our people brought to us, so this is what we try to maintain as best we can. And then they said, Pastor, let's go a little farther. I really believe this Acts 1 8 thing. So, how about if we identify a like minded church or plant one in all 88 counties in Ohio? And then they said, Pastor, how about if we do the same in all 3,000 plus counties in the United States? Pastor, I really believe this. I really believe we can do this. I really believe Acts 1 8 was given to Grace Church of Mentor, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, uttermost parts. Right? And they came to us years ago, and they said, how about if we build a, this kind of a New Testament network? Interdependent, Bible-saturated, intellectually honest. And that ultimately became what you folks have heard as Arch Ministries, which is on the bottom right-hand thing. It's just as a thing. It's really Grace Church of Matter. It's not a parachurch organization. It's just our disciple-making, church planning arm out of Grace. I so, said, okay, we'll give it a shot. And how about if we utilize the members of GCM to achieve this goal? I said, okay, disciple making souls love to be visionaries. Let's go. Do we have access to the internet back there that can be shown on the screen and then we can switch back over to this just real quickly? While they get that ready, this is really what our people in a short picture want to do. yeah, archmen.org. Okay? 43,000 people, 88 counties, 3,000 plus counties, right? 194 countries on six continents by 2030. Pastor, do you think we can identify or plant a church in all those places with all those people by 2030? And I said, God can. I can't. <laughs> I can't, but God can. Click on maps. Get on the map or click on the arch map. Okay, so since this time, this is how far they've come. I know you can't see all of them. We have over 2,000 churches that have applied to be on the map that aren't on this map yet. Okay, these are like-minded churches. We have now 21 different like-minded missions agencies who have partnered with us. Remember Interdependent, right? Right? with over 7,000 ministry partners globally. I met with them last November. We're meeting again, unanimous decision to meet again this November, and we're adding four more agencies. But where did it start? Did it start with a school or with a mission board? Where did it start? Disciple making in local churches. And by the way, if you paired church organizations that used to be at the steering wheel want to come along, great. If you don't, this is what we're doing. Right? But guess what's happening in all the parachurch missions agencies? That's the same thing for them is happening in local churches. They're closing down and hurting too. Why? Because there's no disciple making going out of local churches. <laughs> the mission board that I'm one of the directors of is sitting on a four million dollar pillow. And in our last board meeting said we got a shelf life. We got to really start thinking about closing this puppy down. Big money, no people. And disciple makers are the places that have the people and no money. (laughs) All right? But God's blowing his wind in one more than the other. I'll guarantee it. Because I don't need your money to see people saved. God doesn't either, by the way. So basically, missions agencies and schools have become like Nero of old. They're playing their fiddle while Rome's burning. But at least we got our suitcases full of cash good for you. If Jesus comes today, the Antichrist gets it. So I hope you enjoy that. (laughs) I'm just trying. You ever thought about that? I brought that up in our last mission board. So who gets the four mil? Well, we've got to have this because we got to have the interest. We got to have this to take care of this. It's like, okay, good. I hope that's working for you. You're talking about shutting down, not me. What do you want to do with it? Well, I can tell you what, I can spend $4 million in local churches like yours that are planning on being disciple-making churches in your Jerusalem in a half hour. Meaningfully do it. Right? But everyone's playing their fiddle. Rome's burning. Doesn't she look pretty? I'm telling you, it's that bad. It is that bad in our stripe. It is that bad. We have stage four cancer. We're given a treatment and we're told that it can be gone in a week, let we say, no, I'd rather die. That's how bad it is. I'm not going to get That's another seminar. Okay. <laughs> so this is, what, this is what God's doing, and now it's going global. So, 2020, we have an arch South America. An arch, um, <laughs> that's May. September, is Arch why in the world? I must be really. I got more water, Hindu, Indian. India, Arch India 2021, Arch Germany. Okay, Arch Germany, right? 2021, Arch Canada. These people are calling us that have taken the seminar, whoever's whatever it is, it's biblical, it's doable. God's starting to do something, and they want to identify like minded people in the counties and the provinces and the states and the municipalities in their own country to get him together to strengthen them to go forward because many hands make light work. It's not about one person, one place, or one institution. It's about us. It's about we, not me. Surprise, surprise. Read your Bible. Right? Jesus is the epicenter, not any of us. And let's do this together. So it's happening. I can't tell you. All I can tell you is that I'm going to show up the last week of May in 2021, there's going to be at least one pastor or two from every country in the continent of South America and Buenos Aires. That's it. We don't even have the money to do it. We're planning all of it. We have no money. We have the National Pastors Fellowship in Florida. It's done. It's set. We're doing it, and we don't have the money. I tell people we don't have the money, And they'll say, well, it's not a building or it's not something I can tangibly see or put my name on. Well, the spirit of God's works typically not. But I'm telling you, this is happening. Is God going to let us have Arch Florida? Sure, I'm not worried about it. (laughs) I'm just telling you, he provides where he leads. And if it's a Bible thing, he's going to do it. I just don't know how. They walk by faith and not by sight. All right, so let's go back to the slides. Any questions on the map? I'm just saying this is the fruit of what my people asked us to do. This is not my vision. Do you understand that? What are we taught? I was a business minor in college. I love business. I love studying. I've read leadership book after leadership book after leadership book, and the leader has to set the vision. The leader's the pace setter. And all I'm saying, you know what? I don't know that that's what a shepherd is. A shepherd equips the flock to do the work of the ministry, and those people become the visionaries. And I just say, oh, okay, let's go. I don't know how, but let's do it, (laughs) you know? took a long time, but it, we're nowhere near where we need to be, but, All right? So where do we start? You've got to have a disciple-making strategy session, okay? I've got 20 minutes to fly at mock speed, <laughs> okay? But this is recorded, and you can go back and listen to the speed later on. Ministry leaders. Go through these questions. This is taken from Aubrey Malphurst's book, too. Go through these questions with your spouse first. You will never have more honesty and transparency from anyone else than your spouse. You might not even do church a lot with your wife because she's home with the kids and goes to church faithfully, and she's just being a great mom and serving in the nursery all the time. Let me tell you who knows the church better than anyone else other than Jesus and you it's your spouse. And they're not going to speak up much because they're just faithfully shepherding and following your vision. Okay? Ask them first and then take this list of questions to your deacons. And don't meet with your deacons unless their wives are in the room. The most painful the most painful part of this whole process for me was actually meeting with my wife. I'm serious. She could kiss me, right? Wink at me, show me those, that smile that just melted me the first time I saw it, and then tear me to shreds the next second. Right? She always balances truth with love. <laughs> but Rhonda's just like super good at that. We were talking about that at breakfast. She just like sees it, right? So just do it with them, then do it with your deacons and your wives. And you're, I'm going to tell you what, you're going to have pages of answers for you to pray over. And this is not, Will, this is not an idea night. Yeah, this is not that. Where are we today? What do you think our church values? What do you think we're here for anyway? What's going on where God put us? Tim, we don't have any outreach to our librarian up the street. Eli at the top of the store, the little mart, there he is. We buy milk from. him. We have no relationship with him. Every person in our church, Tim, has no relationship with people inside buildings right around their homes. None. They go check out a book. They say hi. They tip the hat. Nothing. We didn't even know who's jobless, the jobless rate in our town. We didn't know what the primary industry was in our town. We didn't even know how to get in touch with school board members or teachers in our town. Souls, people. Where are the people? What are they doing? How are they hurting? How are they succeeding? Why aren't we interacting with people? Want to know why? Because we had a church calendar. And it was plug full of a lot of good stuff. But no interaction to people. Go back to 160 hours a week. You work it out. (laughs) Got to know our people. Sweetheart, where does God want us to be in 10 years? Guess what most people don't talk about at all? <laughs> where was 1 Thessalonians? Where are the Thessalonians within 24 to 30 months? How do we get to where God wants us to be? And what are the tactics and detailed plans to move along the journey? Now, he, I, like I told you, he's an architect. He's going to have all these fancy-smancy corporate planning words. I've tried to I try to put it in common language as best we can. Basically number 7 man plans but God what? Can you finish it? God directs. You got to have a great commission plan. God's going to navigate it the way he wants, but the spirit of God at least blows his wind into disciple making people who then make a plan. Don't want to be the dead horse. Do we have the plan before we develop disciple making people? No. Look at where this is in the process of the seminar, folks. If you start here tomorrow without the emphasis on disciple-making first, you're just going to be building an institution and a program, not shepherding flock. This is at the end of the seminar for a reason, right? There's a whole process for each slide from the budget to Lake County for Christ to here. This is what disciple-making people want to do. So if they're disciple-making people and they want to do this, who's going to do it? You or disciple-making people? Disciple-making people will do it with you. And then develop some contingency plans. But at this point, man plans, but God drinks again. Right? So here's some eternal results out of disciple-making at grace. We've had consistent growth through disciple making. It's really interesting, our numeric growth has matched our financial growth, which is really bizarre to me. It's really bizarre, I think it's good. I think it's an indicator that the people who are coming in as disciple makers are also probably giving. I don't know. But it's all I'm told, statistically. Jerusalem's being saturated in layers. We planted churches, although most of them are weak because we planted them with the wrong model. We're realizing 2 Timothy 2.2 now at Grace Church of Mentor, the Aquila and Priscilla ministry, which we've discussed, is just a thing that's come out of disciple-making, a sweet thing. It's changed my pastoral ministry description. I really understand now more Acts 6, right? Choose men so that you can give yourself to the word and prayer. (laughs) I'm not distracted away from that half as much as I used to be because people are shepherding the flock so I can give myself to the word and prayer more. When I study, when I'm praying for wisdom for the applicational side of my exposition, it changes the nature of that. I guess not the nature, but the philosophy and the practice of it. When I'm applying God's word, it's different application to disciple-making people rather than just go through the motions institutional learners. Right? And I'm giving application of texts to my disciplers. This is how this, what, this, what this text meant to me and the Smith Coast, or I, me, and, me and Frankie. And so maybe this application will work for you guys as you disciple each other. You see how it changes? It's much more flesh and blood rather than brick and mortar. It's worked out too, as you've already seen, a national and global network of hundreds of churches for church planting. If you want to get your church on the map, it's just a prayer map. Just go to the website and click on Get on the Map. And Because we have people all over the world that are praying through those maps. Because they can click on that. We have people in our church that go, don't go on vacation at a certain place until they can find an arch church to worship in before they go. So they'll click on it, and your website will come up, and your name, Amen. anything you want to put on there, and they can go right to your website. Right? This is By 2030, this is going to be a global representation of like-minded people unless we can't put it on there because of persecution reasons. Okay. All over the world. Let's find out where the like-minded people are. Let's pray for them. Let's support them. Let's work with them. Let's do something together. Many hands make light work, right? It's not a super agency. It's not a super church. It's just the Bible. Bunch of humble nobodies doing something together for the cause of Christ. It's not top down. It's bottom up. Let's just go. No superstars. No heroes. No nothing. Just Bible. Bible normalcy. I think we're all sick and tired of the evangelical superstars and super churches. Right? I'm so bored with them. Oh, they're so popular. They speak so well. They have these big conferences. Yeah, and they make everyone pay to go to them too. How stupid is that? Why would you want a paycheck for delivering God's word to people that aren't even your people? Look how twisted we are. I'm not going to go speak to you unless you give me a $50,000 stipend. What? Are you serious? Jesus must increase. We must decrease. Let's just do it together. Here's some vital signs of a disciple making church. Revelation 2.5. I don't need to rehearse that anymore. If you're a disciple-making church, getting back to the first things to the person and you're equipping the saints to do that, the Spirit of God's going to bless and your lampstand will remain. Our main responsibility, go over and make disciples. Our church is growing. I had a seminary professor that recently told me this. Well, not recently. It's been within the last 10 years. Zero to 3% growth if they have corporate evangelism only. And that's if they do it really well. Three to 5% growth if they have corporate and situational evangelism five to seven percent growth with corporate and situational evangelism in a very high administrative way. The very small percent of churches and less than two percent of the churches in our country actually do disciple-making, less than two percent. Experience eight to 13 percent growth with well-organized disciple-making with members. We've hit as high as 13, and we've been as low as two. We average between four and five. So I would say that this is true. Okay? Are we making disciples? Are people being saved? Are converts being baptized? Are baptized converts becoming long-term active members of our churches? A book written by, the, by an author gave us these statistics. And I'll tell you the author when I'm done with all the statistics. So the author, if you don't like him, doesn't distract you from the object of truth, okay? Here's what he found found out that there's one saved per per 2.4 people, new people attending. There's 27% of our converts are getting baptized, 18% are becoming committed members, and 82% of our converts never become committed members. Now, converts, I think you could put in quotes there, right? But his conclusion was he wrote a book. It was an analysis of over 3,000 churches within his stripe of Christianity, Right? And he did this study with a, with a corporation, this analysis. And his, the whole book's written as a shame on us for what, what's been going on. And the conclusion of the book was, this is happening because we've not been disciple-making. And it gets in more interesting. Is your church planting churches? Does your church even think about planting churches? He would say, and I would say too, why has your church never thought about church planting? Is church planting only for some churches? God called every church to church plant. It's a good question when you study the New Testament. This is their findings. In their stripe, this was their attendance before 1950. By 1969. By 1989. Now I'll stop there for a minute. Why such growth in that time period? What's going on in our country between 1950 and 1990? All kinds of things, right? All right, there's Vietnam. People have a tendency to go back to church when they get a little scared. <laughs> the Christian day school movement's beginning in this time period, which is a reaction to theological liberalism and in institutions, secondary institutions especially. The heyday of the Christian school movement really began in the late 50s through the mid-80s. So people are growing their churches inside the greenhouse through Christian education. Certainly nothing wrong with that, but that's a factor here. I think the patriotism comes along with the Christian school you used to coach at. What's their mascot? Patriot. Mine was the Crusader. (laughs) Why Crusaders? Why Patriots? We're rallying our kids back from poor truth. And Americanism, let's get them back. Noble commissions, but not the Great Commission. Okay? My wife was the patriot. Or there was an eagle, but it was a bald eagle. (laughs) Right? God bless America. It's rallying points. The sexual revolutions happening in this area, right? Woodstock. Sex, drugs, rock and roll. How do we get the kids back that we've lost? Well, let's give them what they want. At least don't you know, the history. This is the whole history of the Christian contemporary movement. We're not going to use the content, but we'll use the sound to get them back. We just got to get them back. Study it out for yourself. It's not rocket science. When these guys aren't geniuses that are able to take some pop music and put Christian world to it, music to it and get it back. I can do that and have 20,000 people next month. That's a piece of cake. Okay. Look what happened between 89 and 08. This particular stripe of Christianity lost a half a million souls. And his conclusion is, guess what? We got them to come through commissions that wasn't the Great Commission. We got them to come. If you build it, they will come. You don't have to even have a band or drama or a food court or a coffee shop. If you build it, they'll come. It can be Americanism. It can be a particular doctrine that you run the flag flag up the pole for you can have a pet doctrine you can have you can have anything you want you can get them to come but we lose a half a million because there are people that came for a reason but their children now they won't stay but if their parents would have been disciple makers okay Foreign missions increase when local churches make disciples and plant more churches. More findings from this book. Generally, independent Baptists gave this much to missions. Southern Baptists, this much to missions by 2008. Average assembly of God, this much to foreign missions, by the way. Average per church. Just to foreign. But now he breaks it down a little bit more. The percentage of whole budget given to different areas of missions. In other words... That was just their missions dollars. Now let's look at all the evangelistic dollars within that budget. And this is how the percentages fell out. Each church was giving 2 to 7% to local missions, 0 to 2% to church planting, and 8 to 13% to foreign missions. Now I'm just going to ask you does that look like Acts 1 8? No. It's completely upside down, isn't it? Remember what we talked about before by making your budget look like your mission statement? and giving your people a practical hands and feet to actually see it. So in their consciences, as they're living, Great Commission living, they know their leadership is directing God's resources to God's mission rather than man's resources to man's plan. It's got to happen. It's got to happen. This is broken. This is a broken model. He goes on to say you really need to know your field. This goes back to that 11-question questionnaire. Are you rural, urban, summary rural, or suburb, semi-urban? Is your pastor like a farmer? He needs to know his own giftedness and limitations. Um, this analysis was given. Smaller churches are going to have guys that are just preachers. Little larger churches are going to have guys who are preacher expositors. And really the larger churches are pastors that can administrate, exposit, and preach. Follow along with me here, and please don't lose me, because I know we're wrapping up quickly. Conclusion is, our churches may vary in growth depending on the field, but the heart of the Son of the God never, never changes, for the basics never changes. So basically what he's saying here is, regardless what kind of pastor you have, your pastor's skill set should never determine the size of the church. And he's right, because Jesus builds his church, through everybody, not just the pastor. We were sold a lie in seminary. The church follows your vision. The church is as good as your vision. The church is going to follow your leadership and your plan, and that's bunk. It's complete garbage. Okay? Because what's the sad reality? Then growth rates differ by the age of the church. And younger churches now, younger congregations have a tendency to grow more than older. My whole point here with these statistics is to say whether it be the flock or whether it be the preacher of the flock, the growth of the church should never depend on the age of the church or the skill set of the pastor. Pastors with older congregations say, man, if we could just get some young people in here, Right? And then the young people go to church and what do they do? This is a church full of old people and they don't have children's ministry. I'm going to go to the one that has. And it's a lunacy. But the pastors created it. We did. (laughs) We did. Remember, those days? we didn't have a piano player. We're borrowing a piano player from a church five miles down the street. We didn't realize we didn't have a piano player because it was me. It's my fault. Anyways, now we realize we don't even need a piano player. We can actually sing without musicians. Bizarre. Oh, right? Anyways. Let's avoid some noble pitfalls on our way to making disciples. Everyone has a commission, but it's not always the Great Commission. Remember 1 Thessalonians 5, 11, Don't make an issue out of a non-issue. If you've got a commission, it may be noble, it may not be wrong, but just make sure it never trumps disciple-making commission in the local church. You're going to have energetic people underneath you that are powerfully able to run their program and their department. all right? And they will dominate and distract your church unless you shepherd them to be a disciple-making person first. We've already talked about that. Endeavor to know your Bible and the first century normative patterns of church existence. I would encourage you as a ministry leader, if you don't have one, develop a philosophy of ministry from these passages among others and get a church mission statement written. And have that church mission statement attached to a disciple-making clothesline with these texts supporting it. And let your people quote that mission often so they always know that mission and coupled with what's the good news about the good news testimonies, they'll get it over time. The author goes on to talk about positive deviance. He talks about seven virtues of disciple-making churches. I like these. I, they're okay. All right? Generate guests through the disciple-making outreach. When they come, right, spend some money to buy the time. Have some, invite them to a Bible study, take them out for coffee, have for dinner, right? Connect God's words with hearts with God's word. That's the invite to the Bible study, right? Maybe the foundations. Follow up biblically and strategically. How do you do that? Well, your disciples do that. And then they let you know how they're doing that. Use effective tools and technologies, right? That's what we're doing. We're developing defective tools. We're borrowing the brains from other people. We're putting it in a map. We're going digital with all of it. Let's just do it. You got to do something, right? And over time, you'll see people compelling each other to spiritual commitments like membership and service and sacrificial giving and uh, worship with integrity, all facets of it, okay? And then you'll find in time that it just becomes a culture. It just becomes a culture okay maintain the balance make sure you don't compromise your stand on the word of god in order to get people to come that's what we were doing we were standing but we were standing still for decades right i say stand but don't stand still (laughs) keep your stand you don't have to compromise anything All right, but develop a disciple-making culture. Structure a strategic plan and expect Christ to build his church. It's okay if you're doing it Christ's way. He will build it. Always start your reason, your rationale with theological understanding. Then build a philosophy off that theology. And that's part of building the nursery. And then the practice is the methodology. And I hope that you've seen that process in this day and a half seminar. Theology, philosophy, practice. Okay. Right? Guard against theological drift. Right, Theological drift basically is a commission without focusing on the Great Commission. Primarily it can be you having a pet doctrine. I love eschatology. I could really spend my whole ministry preaching on eschatology and that could be my pet doctrine. I can actually give more attention to eschatology than the Bible does. Okay? Preach doctrine proportionately. Overemphasis, underemphasis, or de-emphasis of any particular doctrine leads to theological drift. Okay? Attend to doctrine within its biblical proportion. Deletion of any doctrine, obviously, is not good, let alone the addition of one. Right? I always like to use the human skeletal structure here. Uh, there's lots of vertebrae in the backbone back region all different sizes all serving its own purpose all right if you made one bigger than the other you're gonna bend towards scoliosis just keep it all in biblical proportion and move forward as you train people to be disciple makers don't disregard any proportion proportional way the bible treats any doctrine okay guard your heart against reactionary theology this is primarily to us younger pastors the tendency is when someone that takes a right stand does something really attitudinally stupid, we have an oppor- we, 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 we react to that. Guard yourself against any older person in the ministry that's wise and seasoned and a veteran who may do something silly or say something dumb. Don't get emotional about it like they did. All right? And write this down right here if you want. I know this is not, we're at the end now but this will, be, this will protect your disciple-making ministry, <laughs> right? Attitude is always the beginning of any form of compromise. It's not moving away from doctrine. The attitude happens before the departure. Old people and young people can cop attitudes. If the blood starts pumping and you get emotional, it's not time to speak. Even if you're saying the right thing. Doing the right thing the wrong way is still wrong. Okay? Be governed by the Spirit and guard your attitude, young and old alike. Okay? Yes. Can you say that again? Attitude is always the beginning of Any form of doctrinal compromise. Yeah. Amen. Okay, I think for our past generation and a half, we we find the biggest departure from Great Commission doctrinal balanced living that started with Akengay speech in, in 1948, right? This was the split of the National Association of Evangelicals, right? What happens between 1929 and 1947, right? a group of Bible-believing men pull apart from, right? Remember the fundamentalist modernist controversy, right? They pull apart from guys that want to take a right stand. They form the National Association of Evangelicals, which includes a multi-denominational group of men that wanted to stand for the Bible. They institutionalize themselves, right? And the way they evangelize is through tent meetings or circuit-riding evangelists. But the church institutionalizes itself. Bible institutes are being set up all over the country, inside churches. Christian universities are started, right? Wheaton, right? Bob Jones University, right? Seminaries are started. Biola, right? Uh, Dallas, Moody, all these. We're institutionalizing ourselves. And our evangelism, our training is going on within the church and our institutions, and our evangelism is being done by others outside of our church. Just think about it. Crusades, evangelistic crusades, tent meetings, revivals. So what we come to 1948, what happens? There's a big section of the NAE that says this. We're too institutionalized and our local churches aren't evangelizing anymore. Shame on us. Was that true? Yes. But Akinge says something here that I think he would retract if he ever could. Because he's a good dude. He says, today is going to mark the day where we are going to have a new Christianity with a new attitude. Read the, read the speech. That's what I call reactionary theology. And from that time forward, in that split, right, we have a lot of different forms of pragmatism, attractional model churches, growth model churches, denominational issues from the top down. From there was birthed a whole lot of sordid reality, of varying degrees, some not so bad as others. But for those who didn't move, what did they do? They further institutionalized themselves. They opened up more Christian schools. they supported more Christian colleges. Nothing wrong with all that, but they weren't developing disciple-makers in the local church. Okay? And we all became very dependent on their ability to train. Now I think what the Spirit of God does, he just turns it all back around. <laughs> and he says, okay, it's never too late to do right. Right? And so let's, let's do it. And see what the Spirit of God does. Okay? So, the shrinking of churches can be blamed mostly on the leaders of those churches. We've talked about that. We blame what we blame. Let's stop it. Okay? Take your pet doctrine, let's put it back in its right place. Let's preach the whole counsel of, word, of God's word according to its biblical proportion. Let's focus on developing people, equipping the saints, right? 103, 104, let's stop. Here's some recommended book list for you Floyd Snyder, think the best book to teach your people how to start a redemptive relationship with someone in town. Leroy Imes, in 1978, wrote a great book on the lost art of disciple-making. Trellis and the Vine is the best book for you to read through with your leaders on really the nature and the philosophy. Uh, these, these, guys are, these guys are Anglicans. They're not my stripe. But I'll tell you what, they wrote a good book here. They wrote a good book, and they've got a, something called The Vine Project. And The Vine Project pretty much sounds like what you've heard the last two days. We put this whole seminar together before I even knew The Vine Project existed. We were doing disciple-making before I even knew Trellis and the Vine was written. But after I read it, I was like, oh, wow, this sounds biblical, so let's promote it. <laughs> you know, Lewis Berry Schaefer, best book on prayer, the need for prayer before we evangelize. Kuiper keeps us a God-centered evangelism, a doxological view of the Great Commission. Uh, Mark Dever, I wouldn't stand in all the ways like he does, but he's written a decent little book here. He's got another book called Discipleship, but I will tell you, Uh, I appreciate it, but Dever's book is, all of his books leave you short of where we went this week. It's good to sit down and study the Bible with someone. That's it. But you know the theology, philosophy, and practice of it now biblically and the overarching, long-reaching influence of that. Okay? talked about Aubrey. Bill Hull's stuff takes you a little bit farther than Dever stuff. It's okay. It still is not enfleshing disciple-making to the local church. Jim Stump, great book for ministry leaders who are, who are typically used to winning people to Christ and institutional evangelism to really draw the circle around themselves and figure out how to do it in their own community. Great book. I won't get into the details. we got to go get barbecue. All right, decent book on how to reach your neighbors here. Master Plan of Evangelism. Robert Coleman does a great job in just taking all the aspects of the Great Commission, compartmentalize them into five or six different sections and giving it flesh and blood. I think it's a great read. Okay? There's others, but here's just some. Okay? Um, So anyways, if you think this is valuable and you think it's something that other churches need to hear... um, if, if you want to support it, we don't charge you for it. We don't charge you for the food. We don't charge you for the seminar. If as an individual or a local church you want to support the furthering of these disciple-making seminars, we have them planned, but like I said, there's no money. We're going to go ahead and do them anyway and see how God provides. Um, if you want to um, help that, you can... Um, if you want the coupon code, here it is. If you want to order these materials with your, with your logo on them and at least begin maybe with your leadership, I don't know, a small group of passionate people about this. You can use HOU Houston 2019 as your coupon code. You get 25% off of everything. If you want to help Arch put these seminars on, if you just take your phone or your device, okay? It worked the last time I did it. If you just, you know, shine your phone at this device, apparently, it did the last time I was here, you can shine it on it, and it'll take you right to a place where you can, you can give whatever to help support the, uh, the furtherance of the seminars, okay? We've got 150 people, ministry leaders, coming to um, uh, Grace in September. We have pastors from all the Hawaiian Islands already scheduled to come to Oahu for a three-day seminar. Um... We have Mid-Atlantic pastors coming from all the Mid-Atlantic states to Tri-State Bible Camp in November. We're doing Western Minnesota pastors in December. Okay. We have the National Pastors Fellowship. We'll review this with a segment of the pastors there in Florida. Okay. We have another week-long seminar in February uh, coming up. We have two different colleges now coming to bring their students to come and to see it and learn it because college Presidents are seeing how, how bad the state of affairs is, right? We've got disciple-making seminar for all, every pastor, not every pastor, a pastor from every country in the continent of South America. Every month, there's either a national or an international thing on the map, all the way through 2020, all right? And I'm not whining because God always provides, but there's no money to do all of it. We're planning. You can call Dave Hickson. Don't even talk to me and he'll tell you <laughs> what's there. All right? Um, but it's just not there. If you if you're burdened, if you want, you can I think it's on your paper. You can shine it on your paper um, and, and give what you want. If nothing, I don't care. I'm still gonna love you and I don't I don't expect anything. Okay. All right. Any comments, questions, or whatnot? Is it okay? Did it freak you out? All right. If you, if you, if you uh, want to come up to mentor for an advanced one, to just spend time with our people. Come on up. I think you really get it when you see it. You really get it when you see it. You can come up as early as this next couple weeks. The next one's the last half of the last week of February. All right, you can go, you can register right there. It's free, food's free, we'll house you for free. okay. If you love, if you love a, if you love a, hey, but we're helping you get to Florida in January though, so. All right. And again, you all are invited to Florida. Again, you can apply for finances when you register for the Florida National Fellowship, but that Florida National Fellowship is by invitation only. It's not on our website. So if you would like to get an invitation to Florida to register, would you please tell Will or tell me. And I will write down your email and we will send you an invitation and you can apply. You can even apply for funds to get there for your airfare if you can't afford it. Because we understand a ton of pastors just can't come. We don't want you not to come if you can't afford it. Okay? Grace Church of Mentor puts $52,000 a year into Arch. Right? But it's spent already. Right? We'll, 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 we'll get you there somehow. Just apply for the funds. Okay, and we'll help pay your airfare. Okay. Thanks for being here. I'm staying around. If you want to hang out at lunch, after lunch, I'm not going anywhere. I fly out tomorrow morning. So, all right. Love to get to know. This should just be the beginning, right? Yes. Yes. Um, This is just a tool to continue to partner together. Okay. So God willing, we will see you again. Thanks. Brother, you, your people, done a phenomenal job helping us out and getting us through.